Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to the brand newest installment of your favoriteest horror movie review in all the known multiverse and beyond. Why, it's dead and lovely, here with your absolute favorite, socially distant buddies. Why, it's me, Quarantine Ben. Uh, me, Hollywood. See, I can't even see you, Ben. Where are you? Where, where are you? It's as if I'm talking to a, a g- 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 ghost. Oh, this podcast is haunted. <laughs> we are, of course, recording this during the uh, the heyday, the height, the pinnacle. Well, uh-huh. I hope anyway. Probably not, but certainly during this uh, whole COVID-19 coronavirus outbreak. I, and we are trying to be responsible citizens and keep ourselves socially distanced whenever we don't have to be. I mean, you don't got to be in the same room. To record a podcast it makes it easier because we can hold hands and play footy and stuff that is but, true that know. does improve the experience i would imagine by the time this comes out the only people listening are listening on their pip boy as they walk through <laughs> they walk through the vast expanse of destruction now i know what you're talking about you're talking about halo aren't you <laughs> i'm actually talking about fallout but good call <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about talking about those new Quake games all the kids are playing. Yeah, oh, the kids love that. Talking Quake. about Quake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a fucking wild time to be around right now, man. Everybody's kind of starting to do the whole self quarantine business and it's all that. It's really jazz, cool which that people is are. It's not a bad idea. It is cool that people are actually doing it. I I was really uh, worried that here in the South it just wouldn't take. Uh, yeah, I know. You know, because right? we don't uh, listen to people. No, or we do don't what tend we're to do told. That. We say, or do healthy fuck things. you, I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> yeah, we do that. It's like a uh-huh. very redneck rage against the machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, most people down here seem to be taking it pretty seriously. That's I mean, good. obviously, a lot of people are taking it way too seriously and that's buying true. Like, fucking a year's worth of toilet paper. Acting ridiculous. That's, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that I, I, I do see a few people saying, like, this is, everybody's overreacting, but mostly... It's people saying like, "Hey, let's just stop panicking." Uh, yeah, most people are taking it seriously. The people who are panicking are definitely causing problems for others. It's oh yeah, stupid to run out and buy a whole bunch of like masks and things because there are people who actually need them. I know, dude. Right? It's like yeah. meanwhile, people that have compromised immune systems, yeah. and especially older people and stuff, the right? most at risk, can't fucking buy bleach to sterilize their countertops and exactly. shit like this, like. Because some asshole had to run out and buy all this stuff. What's yeah. with the, the toilet paper thing, man? What is going got, on with this? I really don't get that. I just don't I get it. I can't figure like, it out. I think I, it's it's like one of those things where I think an insane person just walked in at the exact right moment into a Walmart when people were thinking about coronavirus. And this insane person who was not thinking about coronavirus, all they were thinking was, I need all the toilet paper. And they just started <laughs> grabbing toilet paper and the people nearby were like, fuck, there's not going to be any toilet paper. Yeah, so well, they I better grab all that I can too. Paper, and then it just spread. Like a, a, like a virus. You might be right, man. Yeah. yeah, you might be right, man. Well, the <laughs> thing that I've got that's got me really wondering about this too is like okay i understand that there's a potential that we all might be mandatorily locked into our house for you know two weeks or something like that yeah. right but i'm seeing people buy like fucking 50 rolls of toilet paper and it's like if you think that's what you're gonna go through in two weeks how the fuck are you wiping or maybe like, i think that we finally need to breach the the social construct <laughs> and let's just have a psa let's maybe talk about, about wiping, wiping. techniques because I'm starting to think that like some of these people out here are rolling out like five feet into a big mitten every time they take a shit. 
I mean, listen, if, uh, if you're eating some of the stuff we eat here in America on a regular, you probably do need that much toilet paper. <laughs> you might need that much <laughs> toilet paper. If you eat deep fried Oreos, you might need five <laughs> feet of toilet paper. It's mind blowing, dude. And then also, too, it's like I do still see people that are not taking this nearly seriously enough. At all, like I went yeah. to, uh, I went to Publix the other day, you know, to get some food and stuff. And uh-huh. um, there is a dude walking around in the fucking produce section and he just open mouth coughs. Oh, God. I know. What and for? I like I turn to the dude and I'm like, dude, that's I'm like, like if you're that's if you're not, coughing, cover your fucking mouth. Yeah, that's not even like normal human behavior when there's not a global pandemic. No, that's still don't fucking open mouth cough up. on produce. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I say that to him and he turns, he's like, What? What? And I'm like, dude, if you're gonna be coughing, cover your mouth. And he just kind of like shrugs at me like, well, what can you do? I Cut rec- your fucking mouth is what you can do. I can't see germs, so they ain't real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just hope that the result of all this stuff is that like, maybe it enters the social consciousness that people should all, you know, wash their hands after they go to the bathroom and learn how to cough into their fucking elbows. <laughs> I hope it drives me nuts when people us, cough right? Them. Dude, and like people cough and sneeze on their hands, and then yeah. we have the whole handshake thing, man. I'm okay with the handshake thing being just like tossed out, guys. That's a germ factory. We can ditch the handshake forever. That's yeah, fine. It's, it'll be, uh, I'm, I'm a handshaker. It'll be something for me to, to get past, but uh, well, me too. I, 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 like, the, I, I like, like the elbow bump, maybe. I'm fine with that, man. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm also a handshaker as well. I think that that's a good... Uh, affirmative way to introduce yourself to somebody yeah. or rekindle a relationship somebody you've not seen for a while sure uh phys- physical contact is a powerful way to bring people together and it lets but you know they on, have a weapon in that hand there's that too there's <laughs> that too but it's just fucking disgusting man yeah i uh, i i'm okay with letting it go or you yeah. know we could just go the route of like let's say the japanese and do the bow that's a great way to show respect yeah, and not shed bow. germs a slight bow sounds fun i imagine if you yeah. have back uh, issues you'd say fuck fuck all that uh but could yeah be. i could do a slight bow i i like i do like the elbow thing i think we should all go to the uh 1980s jose canseco mark mcguire bash brothers just full-on forearm to each other Ooh, that's good yeah that's a pretty good way to do it right there bring, man also bring you know that the, back. the viking handshake is pretty germ-free you kind of like grab kind of at the base of the elbow more oh, or less yeah. kind of more of like yeah. a hand on the forearm of course, kind of thing. That's, that's a bad, so bad idea because that's where everybody's coughing. Yeah. Oh yeah. If everybody's coughing in their elbows, that's right? that's a pretty yeah. horrible idea. Or we all go. Okay, quit. so never mind. <laughs> now we start coughing into our shoulders. I think that's now, gonna I cause that neck problems. <laughs> it could do that, yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, the real move that we all go for is just greet each other with a little ass to ass. Hell yeah. All right. Just a little ass bump. What's up? Just a little ass to ass action. <laughs> ass to ass. <laughs> You have to say it like that, though. Yeah, dude. Maybe a little ass to ass. (laughs) (laughs) One of these days, we'll actually do Requiem for for a Dream on the podcast and get to talk extensively about ass to ass guys. Finally. (laughs) Yeah. As if we don't do all the time. I know. Seriously. Golly, man. So are you guys all prepared for the the apocalypse? Are you going to survive being quarantined for a couple weeks if we have to? 
Uh, it should be fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, so. I have a lot of protein powder. That's basically all I eat. So, uh, yeah, we're all right. <laughs> You're good to go, man. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that we're good here too, man. I mean, you know, we just did the the rational, logical thing, and you know, picked up a few things, put some things in the freezer, and all that jazz. That yeah. way, we're sure that we have supplies if we need them. But yeah, I think that we should be okay, man. Have you been watching anything while you've been all holed up? Uh, uh, yes and no. I didn't watch anything non-Silence of the Lambs related, but... Okay, yeah. Uh, I went ahead and watched, uh, Hannibal and Red Dragon, because... Okay, so I, it's been a while since I watched either one yeah, of Yeah, that was the same for me. It had been a while since I watched Silence of the Lambs, and it had been a while since I had seen both of those, so... Uh, I decided, you know, I'll go ahead and sit down and watch these, and... I, I really just wanted to get the Anthony Hopkins arc as... Dr. Hannibal Lecter. And those movies are still good, for sure. Okay. Hannibal, for some reason to me, feels like two completely different movies happening at the same time. <laughs> like, I remember not really liking it very much whenever yeah, I saw it. There are two two completely different inspectors. We got Clarice Starling, and then you got the Italian inspector, who's like, I, I don't even know, like, they, there's a point in that movie where I forgot Clarice Starling is in it. Like, there, it had just been so separated from her for so long that it just seemed like they forgot she was part of the movie. Yeah. Then Red Dragon, uh, I mean, Ray Fiennes is great. He's awesome. Uh, it, it has its issues. It is directed by Brett Ratner, director of X-Men The Last Stand and oh, Tower it? Heist. Yeah, he's... Ooh. <laughs> It is Brett Ratner, but it, I don't know. It, it it still works. I think Red Dragon is is still a pretty great movie. I remember liking it uh, quite a lot back in the day whenever it came out. Maybe because I watched Hannibal and I was kind of let down by it, and then I watched Red Dragon. And I was like, okay, this is more. It is in line with the tone of Silence of the Lambs. It's nowhere near yeah. as good. It's nowhere it's near not as, like, as good. No, no. But but Ray Fiennes is he plays really well does a really great job in in red drag yeah and i like the uh the blind lady that's like his, his uh, yeah. girlfriend and stuff uh -huh. she does a great yeah. job too i mean also uh, like uh in in hannibal there were great performances it, it just the the story's just not well constructed i feel like like i think maybe when they were adapting it from the novel they forgot like this needs to be a movie needs to be something that people can sit down and watch in two hours and be engrossed by instead of uh, a little bit confused as to why there are two completely separate stories happening. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. How did you feel about um, Julianne Moore as Clarice Starling in that one, right? She is. Uh, how's how's she compared to old Jodie Foster? Well, she's not as good. I, I okay. don't think so at all. Like, I, uh, but I, I think it's also supposed to be a more like hardened Clarice Starling. So maybe it's it's hard to say. Like, I I think Jodie Foster did a better job with the character she had but i don't i don't think that clary starling has to be played by jodie foster i just think that it in hannibal it wasn't a good transition from okay. innocent jodie foster as clary starling to and even though you know clary starling in this is very like matter of fact and you know, she she hears very dirty and terrible things and, and doesn't react the way uh, a rookie would normally react. She seems to to be composed. She is still 
we see her crying outside of her car and stuff like she's still dealing with that by the time we get to hannibal she's just hardened there's like far less uh, to connect to i feel like so yeah maybe yeah. maybe it's not the actress's fault is what i'm saying well that's the thing is like it wouldn't have made any sense for julian moore who's a great actress to right. play her exactly like exactly Foster yeah in this movie because like you said she's been through some shit you know yeah and it would be impossible for Julianne Moore to sound like she's from the South. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't it also have, like, Ray I'm Liotta from the it? South. <laughs> yeah. South of Boston. <laughs> I'm from Southie. That's the South, right? That's the South, right? I'm pretty sure that's it. And Ray Liotta's in there, too, isn't he? He is. And that was the thing that I remembered so much was the Ray Liotta bit. And he's basically only in it at the beginning and at the end. Really? Yeah. Like, I... It, I don't know, man. I just Hannibal just is a mishmash. It's Ridley Scott too, which That's is kind of Ridley Scott movie. Yeah, it's a little disappointing what? because it it doesn't have the flow that you would hope it does. It's still a no. good movie and still looks good. And uh, yeah, I mean, we also have what's his name who plays the wheelchair guy. Damn it! Oh, uh, Gary Oldman. Gary yeah. Oldman, yeah, fucking awesome in it for sure. And yeah, I noticed yeah. that the. Uh, that Easter segment of holidays had to have been working off of the design of, of Gary Oldman's character in Hannibal because he has like no one kidding. big black eye and it looked like just that section section of it looks like the bunny creature from the Easter segment in holidays. Yeah. Yeah. And the yeah. bunny creature has that weird, like smoothed over skin. That yeah. just kind of looks like all, you know, scar tissue or exactly. burn tissue or something yeah. like that too. Yeah, they do look pretty similar now that you think yeah. about it. Ugh. But yeah, God, that, so that fucking thing is so weird. <laughs> yes, it is. So th those movies are still worth watching. Uh, neither right are as good as this one, but still worth watching. <laughs> Did you see uh, that Hannibal Rising whenever that came out? I saw. I saw it back in the day. I haven't seen it since. And I had no desire to watch it because I remember like the the movie was like coming out in tandem with the book, or like even before right. the book or something, and I was like. This reeks of a shitty cash grab. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I don't remember anything about it, honestly. Like, yeah. it just didn't stick with me. I remember the guy uh, that they got to play Hannibal Lecter. I remember not really buying into that. Like, not buying into his performance. I just remember hearing that, you know, the book and the movie were all about exploring Hannibal's childhood and his past and stuff like this. And I'm yeah. like, that's the last thing that you want to do to that character, man. It's I like, know. Yeah. The I mystery of like, why is he the way he is, is what makes that character so compelling and interesting. I yeah. Think when you he, go back and explain all of it, it really ruins it. Yeah. Uh, Hannibal Lecter has to be part of the 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 scenery essentially like he he is a machine he's not something we need to know the depths of because yeah, yeah the idea is that the deeper you get into him the more you're staring into the pit of a monster that really has this infinite depth that you could never comprehend so yeah, that's going thing, back and right. saying like this is how he became what he is, it's like oh, that doesn't make sense. No, that's lame. Well, yeah. the thing about his character too, and we'll talk about this more as we get into the movie, <clears> but it's like I think he's supposed to be so unfathomable to us, you know, normal people. In that, it's like yeah, he is this incredible genius. Yeah, but also he's an absolute monster. It's like those those dualities and those things that we can't quite make sense of. 
or what make that character so yeah. fascinating. So then to you go know, back and explain why it became that way takes the magic out of all of it. To yeah, me. this this is what I would compare it to. It would be like if there were a prequel to Jaws where we found out the shark was yeah. mistreated by humans. <laughs> really? Seriously? It would, it would be just like be that. like, oh, okay. So now I feel bad for the shark? Like, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> Dude, that, that brings me to something funny, too, I was going to say. I was kind of like doing a little research before the show, looking up, you know, other real-life serial killers that inspired um, villains and horror flicks uh -huh. and stuff, right? Yeah. And one of those, like, ultra-clickbaity sites that's just like, you know, a paragraph of an article on screen surrounded by, like, 30 different ads and pop-ups, you know? I, uh, I went to one of those sites, and it had, like, a list of, like, oh, the 10 greatest serial killers that inspired horror villains. Uh -oh. They had the shark from Jaws on there. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so there were some shark attacks in New Jersey, and they were like, yeah, that was, it was that one shark, guys. Yeah. They yeah. also had Adolf Hitler on there, because he was in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> what? It's like... As far as I know, Adolf Hitler wasn't a serial killer. Yeah, we don't... I don't know that we ever have any evidence of Adolf Hitler killing anyone directly. Directly, right. Yeah. I mean, he obviously so was uh, insane, but... Yeah, what a weird, clickbaity, shitty article. <laughs> Did you ever read any of uh, Thomas Harris's books from the series? I haven't, and but now I want to. After, Same, uh, dude. After reading about him and stuff, like... Uh, he was born in Tennessee... Oh, no shit. Yeah, not raised here, but raised in the South. But, like, reading about him, he seems like a real genuine weirdo, and I, I want to read his books. Apparently quite a recluse, huh? Yeah, yeah, strange guy. Uh, seriously, from reading about him, if you've seen the Hannibal TV show and the way Mads Mikkelsen plays him, that that's what it seems like Thomas Harris is in real life, <laughs> except that oh, he's okay. uh, more jovial and like a, a bigger personality. But he's just not interested in fame at all. Loves and to maybe cook. A, a bit less bitey. Yeah, maybe a bit less bitey, <laughs> a little, just a tiny bit. <laughs> I've never watched that Hannibal series either, man. I'm pretty ill. You should check it I out. Guess, about I, a lot of the uh, some people here. like, especially horror fans, love it. It's got a lot of great visuals. It looks gorgeous. I had some trouble with the character development and stuff that that really just made, took me out of it. But it, it's gorgeous, and Mads Mikkelsen is fucking awesome. That's what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about him in there. Yeah, I want to check out the books next, man. Kate has read uh, the books and said that they're really fantastic and super well-researched. And yeah. I guess he really gets hardcore into, you know, the actual forensics and pathology and, and all yeah. that kind of things that go into these kinds of investigations and all that. So that sounds right up my alley, considering my fascination with serial killers and stuff yeah. like that. I think I'd probably get into those. So maybe after I get through this uh, Road to Jonestown audiobook that I'm on right now on Audible, yeah. I might go towards one of those. So, uh, what have you been up to this week, Ben? Man, I've had time to watch a few things this week, which has been uh, which has been pretty nice, man. I actually haven't been prepping for shows or anything uh, for the first time in a while because there's uh, not a lot of shows to play right now because right. everything's getting canceled. Yeah. Uh, on the bright side, though, man, those YouTube views have been going up, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, Yes. Working, having like... Uh, uh, a source of income that is completely online is a good thing at the moment. It's a great thing right now. Yeah. I'll tell you that, man. Yeah, it's a pretty good thing. So, yeah, on the bright side, at least there, there's still that trickling in because I guess while people are quarantined in their houses, they're going to be playing some guitar and watching some lessons and stuff. I have so, this 
I have a theory about this, Ben. I mean, yeah? I, I don't know. I'll have to see the numbers now that everybody's quarantined. But I have a theory that podcast listens will actually go down. Because most people listen while they're on the mostly go. Mostly huh? people listen to podcasts while they're on the go. Yeah. I guess you're right. Shit, yeah. I didn't think about that. But hmm. who knows? We'll find out in a week. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out, I guess, man. Yeah, so this uh, this week we finished that first season of The Righteous Gemstones. Awesome. And it is absolutely awesome, man. Yeah. You, you still haven't gotten I, further than I still the first haven't. episode yeah. or two, right? I need, I need to, to finish it, but yeah. So I think you'd well really it. like it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. And it's also, and I said this uh, the other week when I was started about ta- uh, starting to watch it, but it gets way more dramatic. The storyline gets a lot deeper okay. than kind of what I was anticipating and stuff, and that continues through the series. But there's also some really great positive messages, I think, towards the end of it, huh. which is kind of interesting considering the lead-up of everything. Uh, really well done and super well shot. Like, that show is unnecessarily great looking. Yeah. I uh, mean, they, they put so much work into making it look good. It's crazy. They actually do shoot in a mega church. So like the the look when they're in the church scenes looks like a mega church looks because that's where they're shooting. <laughs> like, wow. They 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 were smart. I mean, it was Danny McBride's idea to shoot in Charleston because he lives in Charleston and didn't want to travel. <laughs> but by <laughs> having to shoot in Charleston, you you get that aesthetic which charleston is a gorgeous city and then oh yeah also actually shooting in a mega church itself you get like it looks the way any of us who've seen these terrible mega churches know that they they look that particular way where they're like right. blasted with light like everybody on stage somehow looks like they're a child because they've got so much light on them you can't see any possible wrinkles <laughs> imperfections yeah yeah no doubt <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really good, man. I think if you got through it, I think that you'd really enjoy it. So I strongly recommend yeah, yeah, I'll go checking check that out. I gotta it's check also it out. got some hilarious stuff in there too, especially with uh, yeah. there, there's kind of this like sect of like uh, like goth ravers in town <laughs> that make a couple appearances in the series. Holy fuck, they're my favorite. They're awesome. Okay, uh, so recommend that. Last night we also started watching a documentary series called McMillian. Oh, okay. What's this yeah, all about? So we got one episode into it, and uh, it seems like it's really, really interesting. I think I'm going to enjoy it a lot. But it's basically about the entire McDonald's Monopoly game that was like, hmm. the biggest thing ever from, when was yeah. that, like 89 to like 2001 or yeah, something Yeah, like I remember I was like uh, a kid, and I remember collecting those things like crazy. Oh, Trying same, to fill dude. that board up. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Did you ever like win big? Did you ever win anything off of that shit? No, my my aunt Vicky was like obsessed with it and she would take us to McDonald's all of the time so she could get more yeah. pieces. And I I swear she had a board where cuz like it was like if you got all of one color, you won the prize. Oh so yeah, like, like if all you the got yellow pieces. All the yellow, yeah, you won a prize. So like she had all minus one so like every single one of them she had like three of the railroads she had uh, one of each property or two if it was like the three property ones it was like it it just became obvious you can't win this like that there were particular pieces that were just inaccessible well that's kind of what seems like the subject of this show is is because apparently the whole thing was a 
huge like underground like mafia money laundering scheme <laughs> so it's pretty crazy like in the first episode you find out that like all of the big winners that won like you know a million bucks or whatever yeah. they're like literally all related like they have different last names through marriage and stuff uh-huh but they're all just like one or two branches off what the family the tree for each other and shit yeah it's crazy and they started going through their phone records and they were like all making phone calls to the same dude after they won and stuff. It's it's crazy, man. But it shot like really well and really fun. It would be really easy for that kind of thing to yeah, get that could, very dry and boring, you know? Yeah, or just enraging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like the main um, like FBI analyst guy that they have that was kind of in charge of the whole operation, he's like really hyper, really charismatic. Reminds me of my friend Josh a lot. Oh, actually. okay. Reminds me of him a lot, so... Uh, it's really, really cool, man. Definitely been enjoying that. But yeah, dude, I remember running around and trying to get pieces of those things. And like back then, you know, while my brother and I were being homeschooled or whatever, it'd be like, all right, you know, after you guys are done with your work, let's, uh, let's go over to the McDonald's and alpha, you know, five minutes <laughs> away or whatever. And let, let's get a, a cup of tea or a Coke or whatever, you know, whatever, like $1 item you yeah. can get that has tickets on it and trying to win that shit. I think we, I think maybe probably just one, like, you know some fries or yeah. maybe like 15 bucks or something you i don't get think those we like ever want anything the cool. instant win ones yeah we would get those all the time free fry or a free drink or something and then that would yeah. be the excuse to go back like, totally yeah. yeah they get you hooked man they get you hooked <laughs> it's yeah first one's free and then boom now you're it, sucking man. dick for french fries <laughs> <laughs> that was the plan all along <laughs> So yeah, that's about all I've had time to watch this week, man. It's been uh, pretty pretty hectic, but uh, yeah, I've been enjoying those things right there. So I definitely recommend checking out McMillions and some Righteous Gemstones. But Steve, that's that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, it's not. What are we we're here, here to, to talk, talk about? about? El Silencio de El Lamos. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> El Lamos. That's them. You know uh -huh. those. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a movie that came out, what? Was that 1991? 91. 1991. And uh, this movie is, of course, one of the most iconic roles ever played by Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the role that shot him into the A-list. Yeah, you're damn right. And I don't know about you, but anytime I think about Anthony Hopkins or somebody mentions him or whatever... That's who I see. I see Hannibal Lecter. You know, it's like whenever you saw him in Westworld, you're like, oh, yeah. what's Hannibal doing in this? You know? Yeah. There's certain roles that certain actors have taken on that D just cement their identity to that character in our eyes. And yeah. his role as Hannibal is definitely one of those, isn't it? Yeah. It actually, he was dating Martha Stewart at the time and she- Holy uh, shit, really? Yeah. She broke off their, their relationship because she couldn't see him as anything but Hannibal Lecter. No way. Are you yep. serious? I'm serious. <laughs> Whoa, dude, that's crazy. Well, that, that totally makes sense because it is such an iconic role. So, Steve, I say on that subject here, as we step on into the preview palace. Welcome to the preview palace. Before we get into reviewing Sansa of the Lambs, I want to play a little game with you Let's about actors and some of their biggest roles that we identify them with. Okay. Now, I just want to run through maybe, uh, you know, just a handful of these and gauge some reactions. You toss some of these me at me as well. All right. This is a game that me and Andy Wood and Andy Campbell and our whole crew like to play anytime that we're traveling to a show, maybe doing a little tour time. Uh-huh. And we got some time to kill making a drive. We play this game called Who's Your Tom Cruise? 
Who's and your basically Tom the Cruise, okay? Yeah, the idea of this game is all that you do is you simply ask somebody, you know, who whenever you think of this actor, what is the role that you associate them with? Oh, okay. I get and this. This is really interesting because sometimes like you can really tell a lot about somebody's movie-going experiences whenever you ask them like, you know, who is your Anthony Hopkins? And me, I'd just always be like, well, it's, it's Hannibal Lecter. So, right. like for for example, let's kick this off with one I want to ask you. And this is one of those ones that I think you could tell a lot about somebody from asking. Who is your Tim Curry? Oh. Well, I mean, I guess it would be it. That, yeah, that's Pennywise, the, that's your Tim Curry? I'd say so, yeah. That's pretty good, man. See, Who's to me, Tim, Tim Curry, Curry. I think my Tim Curry's got to be fucking darkness. Oh, yeah. From Legend, yeah. dude. Mother uh-huh. Knight. <laughs> I, I would also think of Rocky Horror, but like, yeah, yeah totally. Imme- immediately when you say uh, Tim Curry, yeah, Pennywise fl- flashes in my head. Okay, let me let me pop another one on here while you formulate some of your own. You want to toss at me here? Okay. Who's your Michael Keaton? A Batman. See, that's the right answer. Yeah. It's definitely Batman. Yeah. I think a lot of people could toss a Beetlejuice at you or whatever. Yeah, Maybe Beetlejuice. even a, a Birdman. I also thought of Multiplicity. <laughs> multiplicity. <laughs> Which is so, a, a movie that gets too much play on this podcast. I think I've talked about it too many times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should start like a running list of like things we talk about way too often yeah, on the show. Pinkerton, it would be like uh-huh. Pinkerton, obviously. <laughs> that would be on here. While you were sleeping, would be on this list. I think. <laughs> oh, uh, who's like, your wow, Sandra Bullock sick horror podcast? Oh, who's fucking your while you were sleeping, absolutely. While you were sleeping, right. yeah, of course. For me, it's Speed. I like that's oh, of course, that's where I speed. recognized her as as like an actress. I guess I'd probably seen her and stuff before that, but like Speed was the one where it was like. Oh, okay. It's that lady. Right. That's still a really fun movie. I watched yeah. that again maybe last summer, I think. Yeah, it is. It's still a blast. Yes, it's still it one is. of those ones uh-huh. where you're like, oh, shit, how are they going to get out of this scenario? <laughs> and then they do. You got, you got that young, hunky Canoe Reeves in there. Who's your canoe, dude? Uh, that would be The Matrix. I watched The Matrix a million times. Neo is your canoe. Yeah, yeah. Who you is your canoe? You want to get in that canoe? canoe and just paddle. I do. Ooh, that's a tough one, man. You know... God, it's so hard. I, I, honestly, probably just because of my age group, I would probably also say Neo. Yeah. But I feel like a Bill and Ted should be yeah. on that list for us, too. You for know? sure. Yeah, because uh, Bill and T- I loved those movies as a kid. Like, uh, that that's, I think the thing is that the reason why it's Neo is because that was the defining moment of, oh, right, Keanu Reeves is more than just... Uh, an idiot <laughs> like, right like, yeah <laughs> that was his main role up to that point i mean you also had him in brom stoker's dracula uh yeah, acting but, like a mannequin right yeah so that's that's <laughs> nobody's keanu reeves <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so many good ones to choose from this is just one of those best like traveling in a van time killer games. oh yeah i, I can you tell. can go for hours uh-huh. who's your tom cruise man I, I, you know what? This is interesting because I immediately we say Magnolia. Uh, that's Magnolia, the, that I wow. think is one of Tom Cruise's best roles ever. And little pro- Paul Thomas Anderson action. Yeah, and it, it's it's the role where like I think I think it's the role that redeems Tom Cruise in my head. Where like yeah. I I think he is in fact a probably legit good person who recognizes how people see him and and knows he can't do anything about it like right so like he takes this role that kind of embraces the douchiness 
that, that he is such a piece of shit in that movie, yeah, dude. Yeah, but I, you know, honestly though, Mission Impossible too. I, I, I am just about to like whenever we're done with this, I'm about to get back into the Mission Impossible series because I, I just want to watch them from beginning to end. Because the the more recent ones are really good, and I remember loving oh, yeah. the first one. But those in between ones are all kind of muddy to me. I don't I don't remember them. I remember liking them a lot too. And dude, yeah. Tom Cruise is one of those guys and, and me and Andy would have had this conversation a million times, dude, but it's like in your head you're like, Tom Cruise, oh that Scientologist nut job, blah blah blah. Right. It's so easy to like hate him and then you realize, God damn, he's been in a lot of great movies. Yeah. <laughs> And like, <laughs> like so many great movies from what I've gathered from people who've gotten because like he he is one of these people who works all the time and is very busy yeah. all the time. But from what I've heard from people in interviews of of actually getting to talk to him, he's a, a real genuine nice guy. That's what I understand. So, too. Um, I our mean, friend Brandon Suttles talk, was talking about how he was here at the um, the premiere for I think it was Mission Impossible 4. Maybe. Oh, OK. Like he came, Tom Cruise came to Knoxville like for the premiere and Holy stuff. Holy shit! And he was out there like signing autographs and taking pictures with people until yeah. everybody was gone. Like he was That's there amazing. for yeah. hours and hours and hours. And yeah, I've I've been wanting to watch that new one too because I've heard that it's fucking awesome. Brandon was telling me too that there's a scene in there where I guess he does like a some kind of stunt. Of course, he does some kind of stunt. Oh yeah, he broke but, his he broke his ankle. Yeah, yeah. And it's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He's damn I, right, that's the shot you're going to use. I think there's some, uh, there's a, a good bit about Tom Cruise that's just like, yeah, it's it's easy to just see him as a caricature or dislike him, but the man, the man, like, is intensely into what he does and really oh, yeah. does a good job of it. So, uh, I, I will never speak too ill of him though scientology is a crazy cult and you it's need a to crazy up. cult yeah. yeah yeah and it should be destroyed yep. but yeah. <laughs> yeah i think once again my tom cruise probably goes back to legend yeah wow Those legend really stuck with you uh yeah absolutely yeah. something god damn that movie is awesome it see, is see, that's really scott like at the peak of yeah. his powers right that's there true. man that yeah. motherfucker dude i swear like within i think like a four or five year span released so many just crushing incredible flicks man. yeah fucking blade runner alien yeah. legend so many great hits man he was on fire there he for was a while. kicking so much ass that like that he's still he's still like uh cashing that check like anytime a ridley oh, yeah. scott movie comes out you don't even think about all the ridley scott movies you don't care about you just think yeah, about there's a like, lot yeah for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, when I looked, yeah, because, like, when I was uh, watching uh, Hannibal, I had forgotten it was Ridley Scott and then was looking through his, his IMDb and I was just like, oh, oh, no. Ooh, gosh, he made some shit I just can't stand. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> I, I, I got another one. And this one, okay, I, hit me. This one, this one is very defining. Who's your Harvey Keitel? Oh shit, the Wolf, dude. Is it <laughs> the Wolf? It's gotta yeah. be, man. That, if I sound curt, it's because time is of the essence. That is, <laughs> uh, yeah. That that is the first that popped into my head. I would say, like, I don't know, but, but dude, Dust Till Dawn is like one of those iconic roles too. It is, and he's so good in it. And also, Bad Lieutenant is one that I've never seen that. You haven't? Oh, well, check out Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant is one I I watched as a kid and like. That was that was the one where I recognized Harvey Keitel because this was uh, before 
it was before Pulp Fiction, uh, after Reservoir Dogs, and I had seen Reservoir Dogs, and I guess, like, it finally cemented in my head while watching Bad Lieutenant, like, oh, that's that guy. And, yeah. you know, I always think of him uh, naked looking into a mirror crying. <laughs> well, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you a heavy hitter. Let's hear it. Who's your Arnold? Oh my God! Oh, I know that's that's, that's a, a big one, one right there. That's a tough one, man. See, okay, so it's Commando for sure because I Commando just, yeah, really? Yeah, because it's the first thing that popped into my head, and it was a movie I obsessed over as a kid, along with Predator gotcha. and Running Man and so many other Arnold movies. But you just love him and little Alyssa Milano and that deer in the yeah. intro, didn't you? <laughs> Pepperidge Farm, <laughs> Alyssa Milano. That's uh, right. <laughs> So yeah, like I think when you as soon as you said Arnold Schwarzenegger, the the Commando movie poster flashes in my head. Like just, wow, I remember that all the time. That that the the cover of the VHS and stuff. I, I would say that's probably from pulling it down and putting it into the VCR so many times. Is that one of those ones you watched like eight hundred million oh, yeah. times as a kid? So many times because I I. I <laughs> Well, I think one of the things that really did it, other than my crush on Alyssa Milano, was uh, that I really liked the, not the main villain, but like the Australian guy who was like way over the top. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, there's the the henchman that's way more evil than the real bad guy thing again. Uh Uh-huh. That, I don't know, he was just so funny to me as a kid. And now I watch it as an adult and I go, boy, I was a fucked up kid thinking this guy was funny. That's awesome, dude. I think when I think about my Arnold, it's, it's got to be Dutch, dude. It's got to yeah. be fucking Predator. It has to be. That makes sense. I mean, because, like, I mean, Arnold was so iconic for us growing up because it was like, oh, yeah. We had comic book guys and we had professional wrestlers. And then here's this guy who looks like them, but he's also just pretending to be people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what it's, it was it's like. Crazy, it's crazy that everybody he pretends to be has an Austrian accent, but whatever. <laughs> Dude, I know that I saw like you know Terminator and Terminator Two before Predator, uh-huh. um, which is also stupid too because you know I I didn't see those movies until I was in like my late teens or early twenties. Right. Like I didn't grow up with those movies. I'm right. allowed to watch them, but for some reason, probably because he just has so many more speaking lines and quips and stuff in predator i think yeah. that's why he sticks out to me as dutch over the yeah terminator, for sure you know? yeah i i think yeah because terminator until t2 like he doesn't really have any personality in the first one which is what he's supposed to be he's supposed to be michael myers in the first one and he right. fucking nails it and then the second oh, yeah. one yeah he has a lot more personality and, and comes out more but he's still a robot yeah he, all right he, it's hard for that to be your arnold i would imagine well how about this as you just mentioned michael myers who's your mike myers <laughs> uh i'm gonna go with mike myers from snl yeah just a just general snl is there a particular yeah. character that jumps out well, at you? i mean it's Wayne, be wayne's wayne, world to me yeah yeah, yeah cause be I, wayne. I, like i remember that was because i had watched snl up to that point as a kid but like i think the the wayne's world skits were the ones that where i can look back in my memory and remember those like yeah that, that was the earliest stuff that stuck with me i think yeah dude yeah, I mean, and he's had so many great things, too. I mean, if you want to get into, like, some married an axe murderer and shit like that, he's yeah. been a lot of great oh, yeah. characters, and but I that's mean, all, he's always Wayne to me. Yeah, absolutely, but, I like, you know, even, even like, for for a bit there, 
people were would kind of make fun of Austin Powers, but then it sort of came right back to everybody being like, no, those movies were funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they are. They're still fucking funny. You go back and watch it. Like, some of the jokes don't hit anymore, but a lot of it's still hilarious. They're still great, dude. Yeah. I recently watched the second one, and it's still fucking yeah. hilarious. It's not like still good. it's not like Ace Ventura, where when you go back and watch that first Ace Ventura, you're like, God, this is really homophobic and transphobic, and like, just I haven't watched that in forever. Is yeah, it? It, it's it, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't hold up as well as uh, Austin Powers for sure. Gotcha, and Austin man. Powers doesn't hold up that great because it was. I mean, it's still funny, but it, it's uh, very behind the times. But that was kind of the joke about it, like that right, he yeah. was behind the times. But even now, you look back on it and you're like, whoa, the 90s were iffy. <laughs> <laughs> that's an right, awesome game. Got, it's a lot of fun, man. Yeah. And like I said, that's one of those that, you know, I got a million others I want to ask you some other time, but I want to get on into the movie and stuff yeah. here. But dude, it's a great time killer anytime you're taking a road trip or whatever. Uh, a fun way to get to know your friends, movie-watching habits. So, Steve, the subject of our show today is, of course, The Silence of the Lambs from 1991, directed by Demi, Demi. Anytime I hear the name Demi, I just think about, like, the old grandma and the exorcist. Demi, Demi. Yeah. I made and, uh, Yeah. That's how Greek she was. She was just... She was made of phyllo. She dough. was. It was full of spinach so and flaky. cheese and spices. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this, of course, is not the first time either of us have watched this movie, but no. I've been excited to talk about it really ever since we yeah. started this podcast. This has been on the to watch list. Of course, this week we were supposed to be doing a quiet, a quiet place, place but, yeah, yeah, but unfortunately, well, fortunately. we had to watch this instead because <laughs> uh, I guess the release got pushed back on. Huh? Yeah, yeah. That's going to probably happen to a few more movies, I would imagine. But yeah, uh, yeah, A Quiet Place will come out and we'll cover it and nobody's excited for it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we posted that up and like a bunch of people were like, cool, you guys dodged that bullet. You're doing yeah. Spouse of the Lambs instead. And it's like, well, yeah, but we will get to it eventually. It, just, it, it sucks. It's not a good movie. It dude. does suck. It's so crazy that they made so much money and then... When when the, our audience is, is talking amongst themselves, they're all like, so yeah, we hated that, right? Like, uh, <laughs> who, who loved it? I just don't Who actually it. did? Yeah. I don't know, man. I can't figure it out. Uh, so this was not the first time you watched this, I know. Oh, Do no. you remember when the first time you saw it was? Uh, yeah, I remember renting it uh, in 92 and watching it. It was over the summer and watching it and it... I didn't get it. Like I was not really? old enough. I was I was eleven, so like I wasn't even eleven when I watched it. Like I was a, ten, like a supernatural, you know, slasher killer in there. Was it too much of like a crime drama? Yeah, kind of it, thing it, for it's, you? it was too smart for a ten year old. The movie, yeah, yeah, like it's it's not it's not a like it's not the type where you're gonna see some boobs. I think you do see a, a, a boob that has been cut off of a body, but yeah, like, it yeah. wasn't the type of thing that like when we were renting these horror movies back when we were tweens that we were looking for. We were looking for something <laughs> more light, and this is just like way above a 10 year old's head well that was way back before you got into the whole necro boob scene right yeah and now <laughs> i'm like yes necro boobs this movie's a 10 uh-huh. <laughs> this is where you go to for some quality necro boob so for the longest Ugh. longest time whenever i would see this ranked as like 
uh, greatest horror movie, I'd be like, what? The, do these people even watch horror movies? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, then as I got older and watched it again, it was like, oh, okay. Right. This I is gotcha. really, really good. Yeah. It kind of straddles that line where it's like, is this a horror movie? Is this a crime movie? Is it a drama or whatever? Let's, uh, I, let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's get right into that. This That's one of the more complicated issues here that I don't. That I, th- I want to try to reframe this because there's been this debate about whether or not it's a horror movie. And let's, I want to reframe it. Okay. It is a horror movie. And the debate about it was about whether or not it was worth people's time. And so applying the label horror would have told all the uh, super smart people out there. Uh, that this movie's bad and you shouldn't watch it. Yeah, it wouldn't have gotten Academy Awards if it was called a horror movie, right? Uh, Orion Pictures declined Fangoria Magazine's uh, offer to do it as like a cover story because they did not want it to be considered a horror movie. Because even people looking at the newsstand, if they saw this on the cover of Fangoria, they'd be like, oh, it's one of those cheap slasher movies. So... the debate about whether or not this is a horror movie has always been contrived and false and established by Orion Pictures themselves because they knew that if people thought of this as a horror movie, they wouldn't give it a chance, which does more to expose. Um, I want to keep I'm going to keep calling them fart sniffers. This is the word I've come <laughs> up with for people who think they're smart and uh, and okay. Here's okay. So Friday night, we watched the Friday the Thirteenth remake uh, oh, in our, on our chat, streaming okay. chat. Yeah, and the reason why we did that is because it was Friday the Thirteenth, and we were gonna do the Joe Bob stream, but uh, it, it wasn't working. So we we turned on the remake because I have read from some horror uh, critics that it's better than you think or better than mm. you remember. And it's been forever since I saw it, man. It's been years. So now this is where I will define the word fart sniffer. A fart sniffer <laughs> is the person who has come to the realization that they can argue anything, but hasn't yet come to the realization that they need to be responsible in what they argue. So I would say the ultimate fart sniffer is Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro <laughs> can argue anything. He yeah. can argue anything. And in doing so, convince a bunch of people who can't really follow an argument. But he's yeah. never made the step, taken the, the full step to be like, oh, I have to be responsible for the arguments I make. And it's not just words coming out of my mouth. When I'm saying this and convincing people of it, I'm changing minds and there are consequences. So right. sometimes a movie critic will come along and be like, hey, you know, I could argue that this movie everybody hates is actually better than everybody remembers. And they never stop to think like, should I do that? <laughs> like, is, is there a good reason to do that? Uh <laughs> So was the movie better than you remembered whenever you guys watched that Friday 13th remake? No, it's worse than I remember. It's, it's not fucking good. terrible. <laughs> if anybody ever tells you it's better than you remembered, you know not to listen to their opinion because they have garbage opinions. It's yeah, so it's not fucking good. bad. What specifically turned you off so much about it? I remember it had some like 
Dece kills and stuff? Oh, yeah, not really. Uh, you remember okay. you remember <laughs> that, and I remembered that as well. And in watching it, you don't see any of the kills, really. Oh. Like, there's one kill with the machete through the head that looks okay, but doesn't even look as good as, say, something Savini would have done in the 80s. Yeah, like a Kevin Bacon arrow through the throat. Yeah, it has a 25-minute cold open. Like, Ooh. Oh, yeah, that's right, it does. Yeah. And it introduces like, you to, like, title. six characters, and then it's like, oh, <laughs> no, they're, they're dead. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's like a little mini-movie at the first, and then it's like, psych. All these characters are dead. And it's like, well, I'm like half an hour into this movie now. What the fuck? It also is like, you know, the premise of Friday the 13th of like the POV shots being like, oh, yeah. that's Jason. They were like, what if we don't do any of that ever? What if we just cut that <laughs> completely? You, you know, the thing that happened in all 12 other Friday the 13th movies. Let's cut that part. Anyway. Let's not do that. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. I, so you're talking about people who will just argue shit yes. without really thinking about the consequences yes. of what they're doing. They're the fart okay. the fart sniffers. And the fart sniffers also, it's like the people online who are like, I want universal health care for everybody, but a guy who supports Bernie was mean to me one time. Uh, I won't ever support that guy. Like, horror as a genre for fart sniffing critics has always been the uh it was mean to me one time so i'm i'm never gonna give it <laughs> any sort of credence so uh, comedy gets the same treatment too i mean like if you look at greatest comedies of all time it, it's rarely going to have the things that people you talk to will say are the funniest movies they've ever seen it's usually going to be something yeah. that's way overblown and not even really funny like it's like w well sometimes like it can kind of have that effect too where it's like whenever you're introduced to a certain band by somebody who like fucking sucks yes <laughs> and you like hold it against that band that they have a fan that you don't like <laughs> yes yeah well, like so that. at some point horror pissed off the wrong critic and never was allowed to be considered good or art so well that's the thing is like dude siskel and ebert were so constantly critical and just shit talking yeah. about the entire horror genre i think that they yeah. did more to discredit the entire genre in and the if, eyes of the academy and general if, moving go if you go back and, and read anybody. a lot of the that critique too it's a lot of nannying bullshit like it's a it's a whole lot of oh, like yeah they're they're like thinking they're saving people's delicate sensibilities and shit and it's like who are you talking to and from what perspective are you coming from that you really think this is the way somebody might perceive texas chainsaw massacre or this is the like they, they were just so far off and it, again yeah. it, it comes down to that fart it comes down to and i keep i'm saying fart sniffing because it's like i produced it so it must smell good like like yeah <laughs> it, it's it's that thought of and 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 it's this is not like a negative thought this is a thought that everybody who is intelligent and critical has to like go through and that is the thought of like Oh, I can pretty much make any sort of argument. And the next thought has to be, okay, so I have to pick and choose my arguments. I have to decide what I actually believe instead of just making any argument I can. And so many people stop at that step. And and I think you just have to start taking responsibility. <laughs> it, it really, it comes down to like, if you're, if you are a, a movie critic and all of the times that you 
go to watch a horror movie, you give it a bad review, you're being irresponsible as a critic. You're letting your own uh, hatred of a genre, or not even hatred, usually it's, I was told by all these other critics that it's not a serious genre, so I'm not going to treat it like a serious genre. Like, it really is just part of the conversation right. is, oh yeah, we all acknowledge horror fucking sucks, so let's not talk about it. So the the debate then about whether or not this is a horror movie has always been a contrivance. It's that the people who made it knew it was a horror movie. The person who wrote it knew it was a horror book. Everything involved in it is horror, but they couldn't sell it as horror, so they just didn't call it horror. And yeah, they so sidestep the entire thing. And then it creates this debate about, well, is it a horror movie or is it not? And it's well, a, the thing about it's it a is, false it, debate. I think so too, because like if you were to look at movies that have been written about actual serial killers like there's like mm-hmm. you know the Dahmer movie and right. the Gacy movie and all those those are like definitively horror movies like yeah. they are they are truer crime than this this is yes. fake crime this isn't a true crime movie it's a fake crime movie <laughs> yes it's like it's like one of the earliest true crime movies to to really or well, it's fake crime but to really get us into like the FBI and the BSU and stuff like that so it gave like that little bit of seeming truth, but then everything else is over the top fantasy. Yeah, absolutely so. But it's weird to me that those movies that are based around real true crime get thrown in the horror bin. And then this, which is about fake crime, uh-huh. gets to live in that lofty, oh, it's a psychological thriller yes. kind of thing. You psychological know? I don't, I don't really get it. thriller. What? I mean, come yeah. on. Like, seriously. Define for me, anybody in the world, the very difference between a horror movie and a psychological thriller. And tell me, is a psychological thriller fundamentally different than a horror movie? I don't it's like think somebody it is. Trying to- trying to like sell Cannibal Corpse as like a rock band where it's like, exactly. oh, they're, they're a hard rock band. It's like, well, yeah, they, they play a lot faster than other rock bands. Uh-huh. And instead of singing, they just kind of gurgle all the vocals out. But yeah, I guess they're hard rock. <laughs> but it's hard rock. I mean, look, like rock bands, what do they play? Guitars, drums, bass. Well, that's what they have. Uh-huh. Must be a rock band. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> right? Now you yeah. can take them seriously and they can win Grammys. <laughs> I mean, what is what is a thriller that's not a horror movie? There are tons of them, right? Like anything that uh, that Harrison Ford was in in the '90s, basically. Yeah, those are thrillers. Sure. Those are thrillers that aren't horror movies. If you but whenever can, you put psychological in front of there, it's usually like, oh, there's people getting fucking killed and shit, and it's brutal and scary. Yeah, and it's like, well, that that's called a horror movie. You just <laughs> you just you just created a subgenre of thriller that is a complete other genre of film. Yeah, dude. And this it, movie to me makes me feel yes. grimier than Ugh. like 95% of all horror yes. movies. Like this kind of has that same effect as like watching Texas Chainsaw where you're like I need to devote enough time after I watch this movie to like take a shower mm-hmm. and watch like Emperor's New Groove or something afterwards, <laughs> you know? Yeah, just have to like unwind and not think about it because yeah there's stuff in this that is just demented and yeah really uh plausible very plausible a a lot of it just so plausible like i I, maybe some people are arguing it's not horror because they're thinking of horror is that horror has some sort of like supernatural or fantastical element but that again is just a, a wrong definition of horror as a genre. 
Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, this kind of has that same effect that we were talking about last week whenever we reviewed Misery, where it's like part of what makes this so effectively scary is that, I mean, shit like this has happened. Shit like this can happen again. Yeah. There's, mm-hmm. there's not a real Freddy Krueger that's ever going to come after you no. in your dreams or whatever. No. This is shit that has happened all over the world for all time and there, will continue to yeah, happen. There's definitely uh, some dude out there who's trying to lure someone into his van. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that is currently happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And we'll talk about some of the real life incidents that inspired some of the uh-huh. characters in this movie as we go along too, man. But I, I know that the first time that I watched this was with with Kate and her family. And I think we watched it basically right before... Hannibal came out oh, maybe okay. on video or something because like I had never seen this they were all excited to watch Hannibal because they had, they had like grown up watching Sons of the Lambs yeah. all the time and stuff and there so was they were all excited to watch it decade gap between the, that you oh, know, yeah, the original was, and the sequel there? yeah yeah well and then too like I'm trying to remember did Red Dragon come out in between those or was uh, no, it, it came out Hannibal? after Hannibal the year after Jeez. yeah that's crazy uh, so, you know, they were all stoked to watch it. So it was like, oh, you've never seen it. you got to watch Sansa of the Lands with us sometimes. So we sat down and watched it. And uh, it absolutely fucking terrified me. This is one of those ones that, you know, again, this is before I'd started watching horror movies on the regular. And there was something about the realness of this. There was something about how graphic and matter of fact uh, the entire movie is. And like I said, just how completely plausible the whole thing is that scared the fuck out of yeah. me man this movie made me feel really weird when i watched it the first time and uh i think after i've been you know maybe desensitized through watching years <laughs> and years and years worth of this stuff yeah now one of those ones that i just watch and i'm like god this is a kick-ass movie it, it is, is undoubtedly one of the best flicks of that entire decade honestly yes, for sure it is it's one of the better the better movies of the 90s and uh it it is like as an adult and especially because Silence of the Lambs was like satirized and lampooned so much through the 90s oh, yeah. that some of the scenes are actually funny to me now. Like the scene where he uh, is beating the one cop with the nightstick and then like sprays him with the mace. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that he, like, was bites done... that guy's face and then yeah. sprays mace in the wound. Like, can you yeah. imagine how fucking bad that would hurt? That would hurt a Jesus. lot. Jesus. I, I, I don't remember which movie it was, but some movie did like a satire of that, and that's the only way I see it now as like funny. <laughs> and I know it's not. I know yeah. it's like vicious and terrible, but it I, it has a connection with so many funny things to me that I think I I will never because I watched Silence of the Lambs as a kid and didn't get it and then now as an adult have so much of the connection with like the jokes and things I will never see this movie the way anybody has seen it and been frightened by it this movie doesn't yeah. scare me but I see that it has all of the great touchstones of a movie that should frighten me like should really well, stick with me that's kind of the thing that I find sometimes is a lot of times with these movies that are so absolutely horrific and so you know damaging in a lot of ways like uh-huh. this movie is sometimes you have to find things about it that make you laugh just to uh-huh. kind of take the fangs out of it like yeah i don't even know when this started but like me and my friend mitch old flat earth mitch Trueblood, <laughs> um he and i for as long as i remember have gone oh wait oh wait <laughs> oh wait. you know just basically sure, any of buffalo yeah, like any of his lines, yeah. any of his lines in this have just become 
humorous to us, and they're yeah. not when you watch them in the movie. No. Like they're not. They're they're fucking disturbing as shit. Yeah. But there's something about taking something from this and making it funny to yourself. Yeah. That almost makes it easier to live with the fact that this movie's so brutal. I think <laughs> I think Jonathan Demi actually like planned some of this because and you mentioned it when we were uh, talking about what we were going to talk about. Like the the entire uh, unit of police officers in the scene when he's in the cage, they're yeah. all goofy looking. <laughs> like there's yeah, a totally. guy with like a long Waluigi mustache. The like, legendary long stash, yeah. which is something that you and I have been on a quest for uh-huh. since college days. <laughs> I can't even remember what brought the long, long stash, stash up. <laughs> yeah, because and basically to, to paint a, a long stash visual picture to our audio listeners here, I've always wanted the ability to grow a mustache that just went straight to the side of my face in a straight line. Like yeah. it doesn't dip down like a like a Van Dyke goatee kind right. of thing just straight line back mm-hmm. to the chin bone which is something <laughs> i cannot achieve but i've no. always wanted to see i've always wanted to see it yeah. this guy is long stash yeah. and i was so stoked like but i haven't written see- all, like in all caps in my notes i was like yeah. long stash but the, the <laughs> fact is that he acts so serious that it's even more ridiculous like it's even more yeah. absurd to keep like the more serious the situation gets the more absurd the mustache is like when he, but it also makes it more memorable for some reason. Yes, yeah, like because like I could just see a picture of that guy, even though he's not a big role in this movie at all. Like I yeah. could just see a picture of that guy and go, "Oh, that's the long stash guy from Sons of uh-huh. the Yeah, they also have the the other officer that looks really goofy to me. He was the sidler in Seinfeld. He he just has that naturally goofy look. He's that's the crazy. one. Yeah, he's the one who was talking to the police officer after he had his face cut off but it was actually Hannibal Lecter but and that's the guy in Seinfeld who Elaine's like in those meetings and shit and he's like always there right yeah he always just shows up when she's like doing a presentation and is like suddenly (laughs) there with her and like yeah and he just has a, a naturally goofy look I think like they picked some of these people because they were like okay this is like the crescendo basically of the movie this is where everything is about to go down it's been so brutal it's been so like grimy and gross we just need something something because like i think a normal everyday audience member especially if you're not into horror movies turns off at a certain point Mm-hmm. So I think this brings them back. I think like just that little bit of jokiness, that little bit of silliness helps bring them back into, oh, right, it's a movie. Like it, there are also like several cameos and things that I think, again, are supposed to help maybe ground non-horror fans to just now, be I like, didn't I didn't notice these until you yeah. told me about them. Well, Chris Isaac is in this movie. Fucking Chris Isaac is in this what movie. I had no clue, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he plays one of the SWAT officers. Uh, also, we get uh, George Romero is just whenever uh, Doctor. That's too cool. Yeah, whenever Doctor Chilton comes in in the cage scene, whenever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's just one of the people that's with him. Uh, it also. Has I a, had no clue. I didn't see David him at all. Lynch in there, cameo as a, a voice at one point, like. There are just so what? many so many moments where it's like it's trying to pull you out of the movie a little bit just to make, remind you it's a movie. And uh, it might even just be like a very subtle psychological thing where you go, 
that guy was familiar. Yeah. Just exactly. to take it out. You know, it's like not like on the nose. Yeah. Like, oh, fucking Tom Cruise is one of the extras in exactly. the movie or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. something that just like ticks you off a little bit to where you're like, that guy's mustache was weird. Or right. was that Chris Isaac? Yeah. And so <laughs> and so then when somebody's getting their, their face cut off, <laughs> you're it's I the average audience member who's just here to see this movie they've heard about from everybody is able to feel a little less squeamish about it. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think there was a lot going on here between Jonathan Demi and Orion and trying to figure out how to sell a hardcore horror movie to a wide audience. Yeah. And I think they, f- they obviously figured out how to do it because this movie made a lot of money and won five Academy Awards and fucking... Gee just one of the greatest horror movies of all time do you think that the inclusion of like you said some of those characters and those cops and stuff towards the end and a long stash there i think that was a direct influence from the uh the obvious fake mustache cop at the end of sleepaway camp because i think so i would i would believe that actually i would absolutely <laughs> believe that and here's why jonathan demi jonathan demi comes up through the uh uh, what's his name? Fuck. Roger Corman school of, of uh, movie making. Really? Yeah. He made a bunch of exploitation movies with Roger Corman throughout the 70s. I did not know that. Yeah. So he is like several other major directors that we've talked about who went on to direct awesome horror movies and awesome movies beyond that got their start with Roger Corman. Roger Corman actually yeah. has a... a, a small cameo in this too holy so, shit dude i did not know that either yeah you're right like the corman camp spawned so many incredibly talented yeah. directors and actors and everything it's hard to believe because i mean those are just like cheap bullshit movies but yeah but golly um, man got a lot of corman corman was always a genius i've talked about this before and i will yeah. talk about it in my upcoming podcast when i that's I'm right gonna, i'm gonna do an entire season on exploitation movies but Corman was a genius in that he knew how he could sell these really cheaply made movies and then he would use the money to buy distribution rights of these great foreign films that didn't show here in America oh. and then like like he was he was using these real cheaply made movies to bring art to America it's pretty genius a noble man a noble man that Roger Corman <laughs> <laughs> Now, how long had this been a book before the rights and stuff okay. started getting shopped around for becoming a movie? Do you so, know? So, yeah. Uh, so, the the book came out in 88. Thomas Harris sent a copy to Ted Talley, who wrote the screenplay. Ted Talley yep. was a friend of his who was a screenwriter. Uh so two people read this book and wanted to turn it into a movie immediately. One of those people was Clarice Starling herself, Jodie Foster. Oh, really? Yeah. She wanted to buy the rights to this, and when she went to buy them, she found out they had already been bought by Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman? Gene really? Gene Hackman was supposed to direct this movie. Hackman was always one of the hardest Mega Man bosses to beat. Hackman! <laughs> <laughs> but then you got you got the super cute, or super awesome hack ability, which was just hacks. Yeah, totally. Just through access. Yeah, you used that to beat Woodman later, Of course, yeah. <laughs> you had to have that. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> Gene Hackman bought the rights to this, and he was working with Orion to make this movie happen. But 
he eventually ended up dropping out because he he just didn't see himself being able to direct the movie that was coming together so ted tally was about halfway through his script at the time and orion told him just keep writing it we're, we're gonna get somebody so they went out looking for people and they settled on jonathan demi uh, that's right jonathan demi director of talking heads stop making sense concert film look out yeah <laughs> he jonathan demi had done like a lot of music videos and he had done those like 70s exploitation videos or movies that i uh, talked about but it wasn't until he made married to the mob that he kind of got the the uh, notice around town that he needed that finally landed him this role he directing silence of the lambs basically made his career but he had been working for 20 years before this <laughs> like it if it hadn't been Jonathan Demi, there were a few other people they considered, but I don't know that this movie would have been what it is without Jonathan no. Demi. And actually, a lot of things kind of even... I, I would say in the end, a lot of this probably comes down to Orion and the producers because Jonathan Demi wasn't really sold on Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling, but Orion really wanted her to, and Jodie Foster really, really wanted to do the role. Uh, so like there, there were, this is one of those instances where the production company, I think brought all the right pieces together. Like you can't put this all on Jonathan Demi. You can't say Jonathan Demi made this movie what it is because the production company put all of this together in a way that it was Jonathan Demi's to fuck up. And he did. Yeah. It. Yeah. And he, right. he actually did it amazing he excelled at it like it, he he had all the right parts from orion and then just nailed it well what's odd about this too is this came out a few years after manhunter which is right, technically which failed. the first in this series yeah, yeah but that wasn't even a big movie at all and it's yeah. like a lot of people didn't realize that that was the first appearance of the character of hannibal lecter yeah uh, but it, it was a it was an inevitability that thomas harris's novels were going to get turned into movies yeah the fact well, that it happened is, so quick after that failure is that like they must have seen something that most people wouldn't have seen totally yeah, yeah they jedi mind trick the fuck out of all this because yeah. even whenever you watch the original trailer for the movie that they're running back then there's nothing in it about like from thomas harris author of manhunter or, right like, the sequel to manhunter there's no mention of it yeah well, and it's and not a it's not a sequel to Manhunter. Like they're technically no. completely unrelated. And and I'd say right. yeah, they they wanted to not mention it because it hadn't done well. <laughs> well, and also too, I think that they knew what they had on their hands with the character of Hannibal Lecter being yes. played by by Anthony Hopkins. Uh -huh. and yeah, I think that it would have been very confusing because in Manhunter is played by Brian Cox, right? And uh, and he does. From what I recall, a good job. It's been a long time since I watched mm -hmm. that movie. I remember it was like 80s as fuck. Right, yes. But I remember that he did a good job in it, but I think that they were like, Anthony Hopkins has just made a iconic historic right. role with this character. Mm -hmm. We don't even need to bring it to people's attention that this character was previously played by somebody else in this other movie. 
let's just treat it like it's its own story. And it does hold up as its own story. You don't have to have seen Manhunter or know anything about Red Dragon for this right. to, to make sense. You know? Though if you haven't seen Manhunter, uh, watch it. Uh, I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really rare, like, again, fake true crime movie right. in that time period. There wasn't really a lot else out there like that movie when it came out. You know, the interesting thing is, like, as I said, it's obvious Orion believed in this, but they actually did delay releasing this until January of 91 so they could do an Oscars push for Dances with Wolves. Oh, yeah? For 1990. And it worked. Dances with Wolves won Academy Awards. But then uh, the idea was that Silence of the Lambs now is buried because at that time the conventional wisdom was anything released early in the year is not going to win anything at awards season. Right, yeah, that's uh, kind of the long-held tradition yeah. of thinking of that way, yeah. And Silence of the Lambs, I, I believe, was the first film ever to win Best Picture and already be out on home video. Dude, yeah, that's pretty crazy, especially so, for back then. Yeah, so that that means, I would assume, the day after the Academy Awards, a lot of rental places were running out of Silence of the Lambs copies. Dude, this is yet another one of those ones that I remember seeing that iconic box and probably uh-huh. even the poster yeah. at Movie Magic and Video West in uh-huh. Morristown, Tennessee when I was a kid and just always being like, what could this movie be about? I, right. I remember talking about With that the, like on our first Chucky episode. The butterfly on the lips and like... Yeah, and, and it's this got, like pale face uh-huh. that has like red eyes. Like yeah. the eyes on, the, on there are like maroon colored. Yeah, it tells you literally nothing about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, but like as as a kid, I would look at that and just be like, I couldn't even remotely imagine what yeah. this movie is, but I bet it's fucking awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> this this movie like overcame so many odds to end up like it, it's only the third movie to win the Academy Award in all five major categories. Uh all five. Jeez. All five. Yeah, so best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best screenplay. Yeah, jeez, dude. That is kind of unheard of. And it's the only horror film to ever win Best Picture. Though, The Exorcist, Jaws, Sixth Sense, Black Swan, and Get Out were all nominated. The Parasite is up for debate as far as if that's a horror movie or not. Right, yeah. That that one this year, right? Yeah, I I haven't seen it yet. I can't wait to watch it. I, I am interested. From what I read, it didn't seem like a horror movie to me, but... I didn't read the whole plot synopsis, so not not really sure. I, I am going to check it out. Well, I think, too, that judging by that original trailer that I watched, I think that they really knew what they had on their hands as far as this movie really being built on the chemistry of Clarice yeah. and, and Hannibal. Yeah. Even though Hannibal's, like, barely in the movie. Yeah, he's only the trailer, like less than 25 minutes, I think. Yeah, I read yeah. a thing that said that, like, ultimately, I think he and Clarice only have, like, three or four scenes together, three. and that's yeah. it. They have three, three scenes. scenes together. Uh-huh. That's mind-boggling because in yeah. your head it seems like so much more mm-hmm. is going on between them. But yeah, just based on those three scenes alone. Yeah. Because when you watch the trailer, dude, like they make it look like Hannibal is this ever-present monster right. baddie in the flick. That the trailer doesn't even show Buffalo Bill at all. Yeah, and in some sense, in the movie, he is ever-present because Buffalo Bill is is like. Uh, he's so in Buffalo Bill's mind and yeah. so a part of everything else that's going on. But yeah, he is barely there. And like the chemistry between him and Jodie Foster 
was so good that they they actually had in the script a flashback scene that was supposed to happen in the middle of their first meeting but like as they wrapped filming that that first meeting uh jonathan demi was like well i guess we're not shooting that flashback scene now because i I don't want to interrupt any of this like just the intensity between them like they're there's no reason to throw in anything else like it's even if the rest of the movie doesn't make sense those three scenes would have gotten one of them at least a best actor or actress award yeah dude yeah. man that's awesome yeah i think that they really did know what they had going on as they were making this yeah. thing and probably editing it put putting it together man because like you said the the chemistry between those two uh-huh. on camera is really something else and even just the very first appearance of of Hannibal in the movie, you're just instantly electrified and instantly interested yeah. in this character. Cause like, you know, she walks through that hellish like tunnel, this subterranean dungeon yeah. of these like maniacs who are just kind of doing, you know, typical crazy people stuff. They're chattering away and talking to themselves yeah. and acting creepy and lecherous to her and stuff. And then like, you know, they're like, grabbing at the bars and reaching out through the bars at her and stuff like that. And something that, that Kate pointed out while we we're watching it is like, He's the only one that doesn't have bars in his cell. Yeah. They're, like, they keep him at the very end, and they won't even let this motherfucker's yeah. fingers reach out towards anything. So in the books, he he does have bars, but again, he the bars have mesh in between them for the same reason. Yeah, to not even wow. let him reach out. But then when they shot with bars, the shots just didn't look right. And one of the production designers was like, oh, we could do like a glass thing. And that person deserves the biggest high five because that made the scene like if there if there had been the obstruction of bars there the connection between them wouldn't have been so obvious and and wouldn't have i don't, I don't think it would have sold visually as well as it does no getting to uh-uh. see him behind glass like that like he he really oh, yeah. is like a specimen yeah dude yeah. Uh, do you think this is the first time that we got the whole like supervillain trapped inside of a clear glass box trope that we see in so many other flicks and huh. stuff uh think about it, it's like you get magneto in a clear yeah, box yeah, yeah. and you uh-huh. always end up with like a, loki, I think also, in a clear yeah. box uh-huh. yeah <laughs> that's where you put baddies man put them it in is. a big clear box it is i guess it is when you like what what this does set up yeah is that idea that someone is so bad that you can't even have the slightest obstruction between you and them because if they yeah. could, if they could hide behind that bar just long enough, they'd probably escape. Like they're that, they're that intelligent. They're that like cunning and ruthless. Like they'll figure it out. Yeah, it, yeah, it, 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 it defined that as a thing for sure. I think. Do you think Anthony Hopkins was their first choice to play Hannibal, or did they have other people? <laughs> he in was mind? not. He was not their what? first choice to play Hannibal, but. Okay, so Demi wanted Sean Connery, which is, again, why I'm going to say I'm pretty sure Orion gets a lot of the credit for this movie coming together the way it does, because Sean Connery, I don't care how good he could have done, would not have been able to sell this. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Yeah. <laughs> like. No. <laughs> He's just, I don't know. I think the thing is, too, because he was already an A-lister and Anthony Hopkins isn't. Like, if you weren't into a bunch of Shakespearean movies or uh, British movies, 
in general, you might not have ever really seen Anthony Hopkins before right, this. Yeah. So again, it's that, that unrecognizability be, yeah, thing. He can be a creature that you do not know in any way. So I think it's a, a much better choice, Anthony Hopkins than Sean Connery. They also considered some other people. And uh, honestly, in the 90s or late 80s and early 90s, every time I've read a list of people they've considered for actor roles, it's almost always the same people. Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman. Uh, but in this case, they also considered uh, British actor Derek Jacoby and... Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis. That's interesting because that could have worked, That actually. could have definitely worked and would have been very interesting because uh, Daniel Day- <laughs> I would Day- love to know about his method acting that yeah. he did to get into that, though. Yeah. He killed five people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis actually went out and killed people. He also got a degree in psychology just for fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could have seen that working. That I could see that. Actually. I couldn't see any of the others. Derek Jacoby, maybe. I looked, uh, like, I didn't know him from name, but when I looked him up, uh, yeah, his face was very recognizable, and I know him from a ton of stuff. But he is one of those people who would have fit into that. Oh, I, d- I don't know who that is. Uh, so it could have maybe worked. And yeah, Daniel Day Lewis could have worked then in 91. It's very plausible people didn't know who Daniel Day Lewis is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man. I just can't imagine anybody else playing that role. Like no. the way that he, not only just the way he delivers the lines and stuff like that, but man, his command of his body and his body language yeah. just somehow reeks of somebody who is vastly hyper intelligent and well, also just a stone cold maniac. The way that I, like his, he has no body language, really. Like yes. he doesn't blink. He doesn't do anything he, with his hands to does, gesture. He does blink, but only consciously this is something exactly he, he yes. specifically decided to do because um lizards only blink consciously like they they only blink as like uh you know a particular decided movement uh probably huh. specifically so that they don't miss any sort of creature that might swoop on them they can o- they only blink when they know they're safe uh but in this case he does it to be off-putting, like, and it obviously is, like, you know, because people, you don't even pay attention to it, but people blink as you're talking to them all the time. Totally. And I've definitely talked to people who don't blink, and that is scary. But There's something unnerving about it, yeah. Right, but to be talking to someone and to notice when they blink to know that they're doing it on purpose like to just be like <laughs> what is behind that why is this yeah. happening yeah he yeah that that's somehow more unnerving yeah he he took he took his major inspirations from lizards and hal from 2001 space odyssey Wow, just this yeah. like stone cold logical yes. killing machine, hyper intelligent supercomputer. Yeah, and to consider, I mean, so he's he's like a computer. Like yeah. she she's able to basically put information into him, and he he can tell her from that information. He can extract a whole bunch of, uh, like genuinely end up verified information about this serial killer he's able fucking google yeah so he's very much like a computer he also they did this okay so when we first meet him there is a dolly shot 
that's basically imitating Starling walking into the front of his cell. Sure. He's just so, like standing there waiting on her. Yeah. And he he stares directly into the camera as it's as it's going. And it's almost like he knows we're there watching him. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like he he tries to like even in that moment he's putting off this aura that like he he's more than just in this movie. He's he knows you're there watching him. And and I think that worked so well uh especially when you're talking about as I was saying before trying to sell this hardcore horror movie to people who don't know horror what that is able to do to them is like yeah, that, totally. that feeling of like oh is he looking at me like it's uh, unnerving as the viewer even to even to watch it. Like you feel right. uncomfortable for Starling being like, God, you're face to face with this maniac yeah. and all that separating you as plexiglass, but then also just you, the viewer, are not used to that kind of unblinking eye to eye contact coming at yeah. you from the comfort of your screen. So yeah. there's something unnerving about it even just for you being there, you know? Uh, and all of this was actually just genius. Uh, Jonathan Demi's like close up shots are really yes. well done and he he did this where anytime someone is talking to Clarice directly, a lot of the shots are them looking into the camera. And then when, Clar- on. when Clarice is talking, it's her looking off to the side of the camera. And Yeah, what- she's like a little, like her chin isn't straight at the camera yeah. like a lot of the other characters are. She's slightly off to the side yeah. a little bit. And it it's supposed to help uh, help us get into Clarice's head we are the one being stared at and it's Clarice being stared at so we're Clarice we're supposed to feel for her and everyone else is the detached other people so and I think a lot of those conversation shots too they have this I think a lot of psychological effect where mm -hmm. if you look at like the lines of eyesight and stuff yeah like hers will be below the center line of the screen yes. many of the times and then Hannibal's will be above the center line yes. as though he's like looking down upon her you know yeah. it might might even just be from an intellectual yes. point of view not necessarily just a physical stature thing same thing happens when she's talking to um Crawford yeah his eyesight's above uh-huh. hers constantly you know yeah yeah and that that is she they they do a really good job of just without ever giving us the exposition and without ever really showing the character in frail moments aside from the time she cries outside of her car they they develop the idea in our heads that she is inexperienced she's out of her depth but she's still really good at this yeah so we constantly feel her like you know being looked down on or like you know in the room surrounded by all these tall uh sheriff's deputies and stuff and like she's just the odd man out but then she takes control of that moment and like when they're in the the uh, uh morgue and all those cops are there again and she takes control and tells them all to leave and they do they listen to her They've like they've all they've all come to respect her already. Like she she somehow is able to be out of her depth, but she's perfectly in her element. Well, that's kind of an interesting thing too. Now that you bring that up about about the movie and her role interacting with a lot of these characters and these close up conversations and stuff. Mm-hmm. Something I caught this time that I thought was really interesting is that 
the whole movie, whenever there's those one-on-one conversations, and it's kind of like you said, we get those angles of her that are just slightly off-center of the camera or mm-hmm. looking just past the camera to the left or the right of it. Yeah. It's her trying to be strong. It's her trying to be like her dad and be yeah. a strong, good cop and stuff like this. But then the one POV shot that we get at the end of the movie that shows us how she really is feeling during some of these moments mm-hmm. is when Buffalo Bill is watching her right. through the night vision. We see her when she knows she's being watched. She puts right. on this face of being strong and like, I deserve to be here and this is my job and this is what I'm going to do. But during that moment where it's her not knowing that she's being watched, we get to see what's going on beneath the surface. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, yeah. like a duck floating on the water where it looks calm on the surface. Yeah. But, but it's really kicking like, kicking hell, like yeah. hell. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a POV that we get at the very end of the movie that I think is very very telling in a lot of ways and, and I think is there also, very deliberately. And just as I said, in that moment, even though she's absolutely frightened and we finally get to see like all that come to the surface, she's also capable and yeah. wins. Takes care of business. DCP. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah, the the movie is really about this young woman who has had a tough life who has probably more talent than any of the other recruits that she's in class with obviously why at least, she's at least more determination yeah obviously why she's selected for for this not just i mean yeah obviously that we do find out that uh what's his name the fbi guy fuck burke no not burke yeah Shit. Uh, no. crawford crawford yeah crawford yeah. we find out that crawford was obviously friends with her dad or something but he didn't pick her because of that mm-hmm. he wouldn't like you can tell like he wouldn't have put her in that situation just because he knew her dad he put her in that situation because he knew she would get the information well and the, but the thing is is like you kind of get the impression too from from chilton that uh she's halfway thrown in there as bait yeah and because she's a pretty young lady he kind of admits to that but he all like uh, um crawford admits a bit that like she was kind of thrown in without all the information, but also that he trusted that she would figure it out. She could do it. So like she was thrown to the wolves a couple of times, actually. There's even, you know, he tells her like gives her that offer for, um, Dr. Lecter. And then it turns out that the offer wasn't even real and she didn't know. Like, so she gets kind of played by him a few times, but always comes out on top. Like she's always like, ahead a little bit she's able to to it's like she's able to step back in the moments where you know things seem to be going wrong and those are the moments she's most clear-headed maybe like right like in those scary moments are the moments where she's able to act most decisively Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah for sure man and you know, one other thing I wanted to mention about some of that that cool camera work and some of those one-on-one POV shots and stuff that I thought was really cool is the way that a lot of those conversations between her and Hannibal are framed and stuff, especially like that scene where he's in his kind of hell in a cell uh-huh. scenario there yeah. locked up, and she's having that conversation with him. And initially, whenever it's showing us their face-to-face things, you see that he's behind bars and she's not. Yeah. As their conversation goes on and he becomes much more intellectually intense and and dominating in a way, it zooms up on his face so close that there are no more bars in the frame. Right. And then 
his perspective of her, it looks like she's the one that's behind the bars. Right. He's Which again is just kind of like really cool psychological cinematography that they're yeah. tossing in here to show us the role reversal that goes on here between who's the prisoner and who's not, you know? Yeah, and they, these are the things that I just couldn't catch as a 10-year-old. Right. That like I one make makes me understand that this is probably one of the best horror movies ever made that it, it is inaccessible to a child like a, a, a real good effective horror movie obviously can scare anybody but a, a horror movie that is specifically I, I would say grounded in reality the way this is is always going to affect an older person in a way it won't affect a child because kids just don't know the world they don't right. know how real this is and don't now, don't connect to it in that way that adults can and can frighten like really unnerve adults totally man and you know obviously obviously the casting of Hannibal is super super important for this too but I gotta know if there was ever any other plans <laughs> for the casting of, of Buffalo Bill uh I there were a couple people I saw named but really Ted Levine kind of had the role and he made it his own pretty quick like he he really he really put a lot of research into uh you know studying serial killers but he also would go to like uh, gay and trans bars and talk to trans people and really like trying to understand their experience wow which is this is you know way before that was a mainstream topic yeah yeah, and which is why it's a little bit weird that there was backlash in 91 from uh, parts of the LGBT community uh, saying that this basically was portraying transsexuals as uh, violent or, you know, psychotic. Weird, yeah, psychotic. yeah I, that's something I was going to ask you about yeah. is how you felt about that. Is this a transphobic movie in today's climate? Okay, so I, I think there's two things to consider here. One... I the movie itself addresses that like Dr. Hannibal Lecter says like th that's not how transsexual people are at all. Uh, yeah, so, no, this isn't this isn't his. Yeah. He's just assigned this as the source yeah. of his problems. It said very just clearly decided that. Yeah, but, I, I, that's what I got out of it too. And like even Larry Starling is like they're typically very passive. Like this is mm. this doesn't fit in with the usual mo right. of, a, of a transsexual person but the other side of it is the fact of limited representation of trans people especially in the 90s yeah so the trans community wasn't saying this is this is a completely negative representation of trans people it's saying if this is going to be the representation of trans people it is putting a negative spin on trans people no matter how you address that issue because that's, most that's people true, yeah. don't even know a trans person in 1991 they don't it would know be like if the the only black person in a movie was candy man that entire year exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah then like everybody would be like oh yeah so black people kill you in your uh when you say their name in the the mirror <laughs> Like, the, so the idea wasn't it, it, it seems ridiculous now from this standpoint because it does seem so clear but from a 1991 standpoint I get why they were worried about it that because you know even like 
there were movies throughout the 70s and 80s a lot of exploitation movies like the uh the killer being gay was oftentimes used as a crutch like the assumption yeah. was like if you're gay or trans or whatever that you were automatically like psychotic in some way so i get why well, and, and i the, get the that. downside is too is like with this being in the time period that it was it's like you got to think there there had been some pretty heavy hitting huge uh mainstream news uh serial killers and stuff that had yes uh gay yeah. private lives uh-huh. i mean whether yeah. that be john wayne gacy jeffrey dahmer jeffrey dahmer yeah the dahmer case would have been fresh in most people's minds in 90 exactly so yeah. so there is also the negative connotations yeah. like okay whoops by making this character a part of that community right. after all this real life shit has happened oh yeah. uh, Okay, that's probably not the right time to do that. I would say now, from a 2020 perspective, 30 years later, almost, uh, looking back on it, we can say like that it was a a, a good, delicate portrayal of of adding uh, the transsexual element and nullifying it, which is what Doctor Lecter does. Is he says he's not transsexual. He's not. Right. That his interest is not in being a woman; it's in wearing a woman suit. Like mm-hmm. he 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 covets this skin. That's what he's saying. Like he covets that. It's not that he wants to transition. It's not that he wants to transform, but that he wants to be enveloped in a woman's skin. Like that's demented and crazy but it also means that they're not making any sort of commentary on the trans community except a a, a, not positive but genial one by saying that trans people basically are harmless yeah (laughs) which is a, a ridiculous statement in itself to say an entire a sect of people are harmless. I highly doubt that everyone is harmless. <laughs> like, right? You couldn't say that about any uh, group, any group of, of people. people yeah, yeah. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. The uh, the entire journey of of Buffalo Bill's character seems to be for some sort of of transformation. Now, whether that's him really wanting to become a woman or yeah. whatever. I mean, well, there, there's all kinds to... of messages about personal transformation yeah. all over the movie. If, if, if he, if it's, if it's connected with the butterfly, then entering into the woman's suit, is that entering into his chrysalis? Is that him? Is that what he's going to transform from? Is he going to come out of the woman's suit as something new and glorious? Or does the woman suit his new and glorious form? Right, yeah. Is is that even his final form, bro? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I think is interesting, too, about that is that that his his motivation through this seems to be uh, to to, to strive to transform and become some sort of uh, sexualized female being. Yeah. Uh, he He seems to want to be glamorous and beautiful and female. Yeah. Yes. Uh, through his entire transformation. But then the thing that I think is interesting about this movie, and I, I want to talk about some of the er- other characters and their transformations or uh, desire to transform through the movie as I go through it here, is that this movie shows us as well how, how dangerous being an attractive female is. 
oh, the yeah. entire movie. Yeah. It's like it's it shows us from you know it's from the very get go with with Agent Starling who is just you know a young attractive Jodie Foster. Yeah, it's, her I'm, constantly being in the gaze of yeah every dude and how scary those Shilton, shots. Uh, yeah, him like it starts seemingly with like just the Chilton's really offhand comment that she responds to in that way that like how do you respond to I'm at work and this guy that I'm talking to is now suddenly hitting on me. I'm about yeah. to go talk to a serial killer. Seriously, we're doing this? Oh, thanks. Haha. <laughs> like Yeah. Only she gets in that elevator with all those like dudes in the red shirts and yeah. stuff. Like just danger colors all around her. And a lot uh-huh. of those guys are so huge that like their heads aren't even all the way in the frame. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah. so this movie kind of shows us over and over how, I guess, how hostile of a world that must be to to be a, you know, attractive female in the world. Uh, and then that's all that, that James Gum is trying to be without knowing how dangerous it is once right. you get there. You know, well, he's not I mean, looking at it that way. I think way. he it's knows very well how dangerous chapter. it is because he's, he's the danger. Like he's the danger, right? Yeah, like <laughs> so, like he knows how dangerous it is for a woman. Like I, I think maybe like he thinks of combining the two. Maybe like if he has this predatorial man mind inside of a beautiful woman form, that he'll be like some the ultimate uh, killer because now right. he can he can more easily get close to people because women are less frightening than men. Well, the thing about this is, too, though, is that he's not the only character that is going through this transformational journey no. uh, and seeing what's on the other side of it because right. even our, our main character, Clarice Starling, yes. yeah. she seems to be somebody who is a... I don't even know if I'd use the word timid, but but definitely not a, a hyper-intense... Uh, balls to the walls kind of person that is trying to live up to the reputation of her dad who she seems to kind of idolize mm-hmm. as some kind of super cop or something and she definitely is trying to journey out of being just a pretty female like Buffalo's Bill journey is to go towards becoming the feminine and yeah. her seems to be trying to escape it in right. a lot of ways Yeah, and become more like like I said like her father and a cop and stuff like this and then by the end of the movie Whenever she does end up assuming that role, and she's in the basement of this fucking lunatic trying to hunt uh-huh. him down on her own, she's in the shit realizing what that journey concludes in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's it's cool because, like I said, it's like I never realized before that those two characters were both seeking to transform themselves. And of course, there's lots of other side characters that are too. The the girl who went missing, whose house she goes to check out, like she was. In Buffalo Bill's words, a great big old fat person. Right. <laughs> but her entire room is full of books that are about, like, dieting. And she's got posters of Madonna yeah. and Blondie and little ballerinas. Right. And she also has the butterflies and moths and stuff like that all over uh, her room and stuff, too. Yeah. So she's also in the act of transformation. You could even say that Crawford is trying to transform himself into being as glamorous and like uh, he's just a smug piece of shit but it seems like he's really trying to turn himself into some kind of like mega superstar media yeah. guy oh I, I solved the case blah 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 yeah he's trying to become what he thinks he deserves as well and then meanwhile in the middle of all this if you think about it 
The only character in the movie who doesn't seem to be trying to transform themselves is Hannibal. Hannibal is the yeah. only character in this movie who seems to be comfortable with his identity and yeah. the duality of his identity as well, where he's like a genius and a fucking animal at the same yeah, time. Yeah, he, he doesn't see himself as a butterfly. He's a work of art. He's a sculpture. He is unchanging. Right. Like he, right, yeah. he is perfect in his own mind. Yeah. He's the only one that isn't trying to change himself. Yeah. And it's so interesting because... God, it's, it's just such a weird relationship that we uh, develop with him because he is yeah. so despicable and yet so charming. profoundly yeah, yeah, interesting and charming. And you want to know more about him and spend more time with his character, even though everything he does is repulsive and unrelatable yeah. and inhuman. You can't help but want to know more. And maybe that's because of the fact that maybe, maybe a lot of us envy the fact that he is okay with his own duality. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I think that's one of the things that he most appreciates and likes about Clarice Starling is that though she is uh, transforming, though she is in the process of trying to become something else, she's also very honest and open about herself. Like she's she's willing to s tell him the truth and give him yeah. the insight into her character he wants so that she can get the insights into Buffalo Bill. She is not, she's so willing to step aside, to let her ego just die. Like the, you know, the moment where he makes fun of her accent, um, that one is improvised. Uh, that's crazy yeah Anthony Hopkins uh, was like he started doing that and then Jodie Foster thought she he was like actually making fun of her so her reaction on film is her reaction to thinking actor Anthony Hopkins is making fun of her accent like damn dude yeah so like there's there's like the that moment I think is probably one of the moments that really fused their great hero villain relationship because Jodie Foster's actual like anger and and hurt comes out in that moment and I think it's it's almost there where Jodie Foster and Clarice Starling just become the same person and that's why she won best actress for this like because she just is Clarice Starling there's no yeah. like there's no there's no holding back on it. She she fully goes into it, I think, from that moment on. Like, she just... I, I think that, that bit of hurt, that bit of feeling like maybe she wasn't doing it right, may, like, took her completely out of her head and made her realize, like, no. Clarice Starling would... Like, she could continue past this moment. She wouldn't yeah. be like, don't make fun of my accent. She would... She would continue... And so she does, and she does so fucking great. Uh, yeah, that's that's a bit of like real life shit that happened that made that moment even better, huh? Yeah, we should talk about the accent though, as Southerners. <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good. Okay, it's not a good dude, Southern as, accent. As fantastic as this movie is, I don't yeah. know how it slipped between the cracks that like her accent really does suck. Like, how could they uh, have not gotten a better well, dialect coach on that or something? The thing, the thing is, again, it's the '90s. It's uh, like you, you just don't have the. It's 1991. You don't have that 
worldwide web connection where people do get that certain areas of the country have very specific accents and that just talking like this don't mean you're from the south like yeah yeah there's a wide range of southern accents just like yeah. there are a wide range of northern or midwestern yeah. accents so in 1991 if you weren't southern it probably sounded right to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but now it's like what is it because it like from time to time and mostly it sounds like texas that she's doing she's supposed to be from west virginia that. but it mostly sounds like texas but sometimes it goes into like southern georgia like it, it it's just not consistent, not consistent. And definitely not west virginia no no yeah. definitely not at all man yeah that's that's like one of the small things about this movie that i would say is like an actual like okay that could have been better yeah that could be moment, improved you know? for sure but again yeah at the time there would be no reason to even think too much about it most people just yeah, I think it really is a huge change in the world that we have so much information and knowledge available to us now, and it has set up our expectations in movies and television for things to be a little more accurate. Because if I can sit down and Google that, the production company should probably sit down and Google that yeah. and figure it the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, they they could have done it too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that whole transformation and that whole dichotomy of, of, like I said, those those two characters, especially Clarice and Buffalo Bill, going through their transformations uh, throughout this movie, is something that I really caught on to this time that I hadn't really noticed before. Like, and, and it's so cool too because ultimately, when you're talking about the psychology of of serial killers and stuff, many times it's that awful intertwining of of sex and violence, right? Yeah. When those two things become merged in a lot of these serial killers' heads, that's when shit really hits the fan and if you think about it in a way buffalo bill through trying to you know move from his life of murder and mayhem into being a beautiful woman he's kind of trying to to change violence for sex and yeah. in a way jody foster clearly starling is a attractive young woman who gets the eye of every man on screen the entire movie yeah she's trying to leave that for the life of a cop she's trying to right. trying to leave sex for violence in a way you know yeah you know i i think that those are very psychologically yeah um potent points in this movie yeah for sure and i i hadn't really put this together but uh jody foster just three years before this had won the academy award for best actress for uh the accused which is a movie in which she is violently gang raped oh i've never seen that yeah so Yikes. She she went from that to this. So a lot of viewers, and I think Jonathan Demi is probably working off of this, a lot of viewers would still have that tension in their mind as she's surrounded by all these large men. Right, yeah. They would still yeah, have... They, they even... Yeah. Sorry. No, they would, they would still be thinking about this movie just a few years before that was a, a big deal and... and was the reason why they know this face so now like uh it's already tense if you're a 1991 viewer like oh shit is, uh, <laughs> did i just walk into the accused too i didn't yeah. even want to watch that one <laughs> dude it, it's so cool the way that they constantly are showing her you know getting the eyes of all the guys because like even mm. even there's scenes where she's like walking through the airport and stuff and an extra walks in front of her 
yeah. and turns and checks her out. Like, yeah. Even in these situations where she's supposed to be safe, she's surrounded by cops, her colleague, her co-workers, yeah. and they're all staring her down. Like, There's a real element of danger, and this movie just overall reminds yeah. me, you know, as, as, you know, fucking privileged, straight, white guy. Right. God, it's got to be scary to be a woman, dude. There's yeah. so many things in this where it's like, you know, Fuck, you can just be a woman trying to help a guy wearing a cast get a, a couch into his van. Yeah. And guess what? You just fucked your whole life up. Like, yeah, this movie that's... constantly reminds me, being a woman must be really scary. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that's based off of Ted Bundy, too. So that, that's like real life, like him. Real fake, life shit. Yeah. Fake cast convincing people to get into his car. Yeah. It's. Yeah. And that's one of those things that scary. they definitely tied in on purpose with the, the character of, of Buffalo Bill, who is kind of a a merger of many different real-life serial killers right. kind of rolled into one. I yeah. mean, this is definitely kind of based on things that sort of happened, you know? Kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which yeah, yeah, kind of based on Ed Gein, kind of. Kind of. This one's a bit more... Because Ed Gein, obviously, uh, if you if you look at the pictures or, or read the manifest of things that they took out of his uh, home, he had an artistic streak to him. Which, he was definitely into arts and crafts for sure. His, yeah. his Etsy page would have been popping. It would have been. It would have been. And, and Buffalo Bill has that as well. He's a fat. He's a, he's a into fashion. He's a dressmaker, and he he's obviously he's trying to express something through this. Yeah, now, like we will never know. Like that. That's kind of the beauty of buffalo bill dying at the end we'll never know like what was in his mind like what he was yeah, going yeah. for why all this happened and that yeah makes you it never really find out about scary. his past yeah that yeah. makes it so much more scary you do. yeah um, probably i think in the book you do find out more about his past and stuff but you I just you don't have to you don't have no, to make you don't need it effective yeah. what do you think ed Gein's pinterest board would have looked like <laughs> <laughs> it just hit me. It'd probably be pretty grisly. It would be. It would be. And there'd be a lot of a lot of confused uh moms looking at it. Just like <laughs> boy, I don't know about this Eddie. This isn't my kind of home decorating. <laughs> I do like that lampshade. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Textiles. Yeah, so he's definitely got a big Ed Gein streak there. I mean, making a woman suit is something that old old Ed Gein was in the process of doing there, digging up corpses, trying to make a mom suit, basically. Trying to be Mr. Mom. Was he the original Mr. Mom? I think he was the original Mr. Mom. Ed Ed Gein (laughs) had a belt made out of nipples. Oh, the old nipple belt, huh? Yeah, he had a belt made out of nipples. And that is something that when I, I... I read it, I think, in uh, high school. I was only like 14 or 15. And that is something I cannot es- erase from my brain. And yeah. it's, it, it, it's really... The thing isn't how, about how gruesome it is so much as... Wait, so what did it look like? Because I haven't seen a picture. Like, was it just the nipple or did he cut the skin around the nipple too so he could sew it together? Like He wasn't a small guy. That would take a lot of nips to yeah, make a belt. a lot of nips. If it was just nipple. <laughs> if it was just nipples. Or was it just studded with nipples? I, I don't know. Right, yeah. At what point does it become a belt with a collection of nipples and then become a full-on <laughs> nipple belt? 
What is there a number? That was goes there with that? a debate? Is it spacing? When the police officers were like recording it into evidence, was there a debate about whether it was a nipple belt or a belt with nipples? Yeah, they're making the evidence lists and stuff. He's like, well, I think I'd really call it more of a nipple belt, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just a belt that features some nips on it yeah, as a decorative seems accent. That way, yeah. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely a lot of Ed Gein in that character. There's also, like he said, some Bundy in the way that he would lure some of these women in with his fake cast and then yeah. you know, bludgeon them in his car. Yeah. The the uh, honestly, like, there's nothing more vile than using than using the good and honest sense that most people have to help others as a way of luring them them, luring them in and trapping them and killing them like yeah man like you are you are subverting every idea of right like and i guess also too there's a little streak of uh, a guy i don't really know much about gary michael heidnick in this in this character too hmm He's a guy that apparently, um, I think, kidnapped and tortured and killed some women and kept them like oh. in a hole underneath his basement and stuff, kind of mm, like what old Buffalo right. Bill does here. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. God damn, man, that that part where like he lowers the light down and she sees oh. the fingernail marks and stuff, and actually a fingernail in the That's wall. That's such a good. T- she she does a great job. Uh, Brooke Smith. She's she's actually in a ton of stuff. Uh, really. She's just less recognizable. If- Ian Silence of the Lambs because she gained 25 pounds for the role. No kidding. Yeah. She she wow. does a great job. Like, and you have like you have to know those scenes in the the hole in the ground. Like she wasn't acting against Ted Levine. She was in a hole in the ground with like cameras and lights at the top of it. And she had a little uh like she had to crawl into it through a little tunnel and out of it through a little tunnel. Really? Yeah. So it's like, this is all on a sound stage. Uh, so she's acting on a sound stage against that. Like it, to be able to, to pull up that genuine fear would be very hard in that moment. And she does a great job, I think. Oh yeah. But it's also not like just fear. Like she also no. does a lot of, she's angry. a lot of anger. Uh huh. I love that situation and him. Yeah, that's the most relatable that any victim ever is to me is when they're angry at the person because that's how I would feel. It wouldn't be as much fear as much as I would be like if I get out of this motherfucking hole. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna fucking kill this motherfucker. (laughs) So uh, yeah, she she does such a great job. Uh. Which means we, if we're going to talk about her, we need to talk about the American girl scene. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Which kind of ruined a Tom Petty song. Uh, <laughs> Boy, that put a dent in that one, didn't it? Yeah. Jeez, dude. Yeah, that's uh, that's rough. And I wonder, too, like, why they chose that specific song I, I do for that scene. Too, I think there are good reasons. They can... Okay, so... Brooke Smith wanted them to play. She was into hardcore, uh, and she wanted them to play a Bad Brain song. <laughs> no way. Yeah, and then they also considered fuck. What was it? Um, Sh- uh, Shaka Khan and um, what's his name? Rufus. Fuck. Yeah, Shaka Khan and Rufus. Tell me something good. Oh my god, dude! It's like the happiest song ever. Yeah. So like. Since we don't know what the Bad Brains song is, 
I, it's I probably think, pretty hardcore. Yeah, probably pretty hardcore. Uh, I I think American Girl is is used in its correct way, where Tom Petty is not singing uh, a song celebrating the American Girl. He's just singing a song, it's sort of defining what an American Girl is. Uh, and and she if, is that like she's that. I would say like she's like looking at her average American woman, right? Like the more accurate version of an average American woman. She's, she's not like model skinny. She's, you know, just singing in her car, having a good time. She's a normal everyday person. Uh, so, so I think it, it, it is that, but what would, what would the scene be like with tell me something good playing? Like, (laughs) Different. It'd be different. Good. <laughs> tell me that you like me. <laughs> uh, like it'd be a lot funkier. I'll tell you it that. It would be. But like, would it, does would it hit? I don't think it has the same. Like, even though the American Girl Tom Petty thing may be like a real overt sort of message, like she's just an average woman. Uh, tell me something good. Like I, I just can't even see how that would connect. No. Other than to just be a silly fun moment i think so too it would have come across that way well and maybe there's even something psychologically creepy about that song because in the chorus it doesn't say she is an american girl it she She, was she was an american girl right yeah exactly yeah which might imply that her life is coming to an end or that person is now dead or something like that uh but there's all kinds of other i don't know you could also say too that you know the kind of average American girls that you were talking about a second ago were often the ones that were the victims. Of yeah, some of exactly. Our That's super killers from that era. When you look at the victims of of serial killers, we're not we're not talking about serial killers. Aren't going after the most beautiful woman in the world. They're not going after like this woman who stands out above the rest. They're going for average somebody that can go missing. That can go missing. Yeah. Somebody that you can be forgotten. Uh, he just happened to step in the shit when he found this average-looking yes. American girl who happened to be the daughter of a senator. Exactly. He stepped into the shit. <laughs> because if it, if it wasn't a senator's daughter, they probably never would have caught him. Like, they, they wouldn't have put the intense amount of scrutiny into it that they did. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, something, too, that I caught this time around... Um, you know, as she's as she's in the well, and of course he's doing the famous, it puts the lotion on its skin, and right? It puts the lotion in the basket and stuff. Obviously, using the term "it" to kind of dehumanize her, yeah, and distance it, himself from her. This is following the scene where her mother was speaking and saying her name often, and yeah. they, they even comment on it because this is before Americans knew much about the FBI and the Behavioral Analysis Unit. They even comment on why that's the right thing to do to. To keep humanize saying her name. Her. Yeah, to humanize her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, during that scene where, like, he's, you know, fussing at her from the top of the well, and she's, like, screaming at him and stuff, before he begins, like, you know, mocking her and, like, mocking her cries and right. stuff, if you watch his chin, it kind of oh, quivers he's a little bit. Yeah, he's affected. Like, he's, he's maybe about to cry about yeah, what yeah. he's doing. He's, like, not, he's not a psychopath. He doesn't... He's, he's making himself do it. He's making himself do it. He feels empathy... But he can force it back down. And that's even more frightening. That is, yeah. Yeah. It kind of goes, too, along with the lines of what Hannibal is saying, where it's like, yeah, he's not really a true transsexual. He's convinced himself that he is. Yeah. 
he might not even be a true sociopath or psychopath. No, he's, he's convinced himself he is. Yeah, he 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 obviously has a lot going on, but it's it's more like he is trying to find a place to land, and the only landing zones he found were bad. Like yeah, the worst fucking things. Yeah. Dude. Including Nazism. I guess he's maybe a Nazi. <laughs> right? What? It took yeah. me about five times watching this movie to notice how much like Nazi propaganda there's yeah. shit. Uh, propaganda shit there is all over his downstairs there. Yeah. I and like I I I would be I, I'm gonna have to read the book, honestly. Like I I'd like uh, yeah. to know. I wanna know if more. he's a racist or not. Yeah, like easy because like that was that is obviously something that now in twenty twenty uh, if you weren't raised in the 80s or 90s, you don't know that sometimes people would have like rebel flags or Nazi flags at their house and it would just be like they were like into metal. Doing it to or, get a reaction. Yeah, they were doing it to get a reaction. So they were into metal or into punk or whatever and they were like, I just want to fucking piss people off. And yeah, yeah. It was like an anti-establishment edgelord bullshit kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so like when I see this, I'm thinking like, is this... Because like he does seem to have like a... He, I mean, I would assume his persona when he goes out not for killing is a little more over the top and flamboyant. I mean, he's got like the tattoos and the hair and the the earrings and everything. Like, yeah, he looks like he might have a like. Y you might see him at rock shows and be like, that guy's a little bit weird, but he seems all right. Like, he he just doesn't. He he's only weird. It seems when he's talking to women. And boy, is he ever. And he's real weird when he's talking to women. <laughs> Dude, I also just want to know what exactly the hell this guy does for a living because he clearly has enough time to devote to a variety of hobbies. This guy's yeah. hobby life is off the charts, man. Yeah, I, th I think uh, she says he's a tailor, and I think they're saying that as his job, not just as he does it for fun. Uh, yeah, that yeah. stuff takes a lot of time, man. Yeah, so I, I think... Raising he pets, very time-consuming. We all know that. Yeah. So he's he's got to have a job that provides some money. So it looks like yeah, he's he's a tailor or designer or something, and that's somehow supporting his uh, expensive butterfly habit. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's a time-consuming thing as well. It is, yeah. Or I'd like to see this moth, guy's Pinterest right? board as well. The Death's Head Moth is what they yeah, say. It's right? a moth, yeah, yeah. I bet his Pinterest board is off the chain as I well. I bet it is too. But it looks really cool. <laughs> dude one thing in this movie that of course we have to talk about is of course the q lazarus goodbye horses yeah. penis tuck scene uh-huh which so easily could have been like a hokey like you got to be kidding me this is stupid thing yeah holy fuck is that ever one of the most disturbing things yeah. ever put to screen and holy uh, shit ted levine insisted on the scene uh it was it was so one that, the that wasn't in the script yeah, it wasn't in the script. He thought it would it would uh, serve the purpose of really like revealing a lot about the character without overt e exposition, and it does. Like, oh yeah, yeah. As I'm saying, like, you know, in that moment, he's wearing, he's like, he's got his hair done up, and he's we see his uh, tattoo that I, I assume is supposed to be some sort of reference to Jesus getting stabbed in the ribs. I guess while so. On the cross, right? Um, yeah. And then, like, yeah, he's dancing and obviously, like, showing this this personality that he has. Like, it's somewhere in there. Don't know how often it comes out. 
but he's like imagining his final form of like right. a beautiful woman. Yeah, and he holds out his arms with like the the robe in a way that's like butterfly esque. Yeah, which very much. We around that time also get to see happen with Doctor Hannibal Lecter, where he kills that cop and then basically turns him into a butterfly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like this angelic or butterfly like mm-hmm. creature yeah. that he's like dressed up there, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you think that when Ted Levine was like, "Hey, I got an idea for the scene," do you think he knew like? And this is what everybody will always know me as for fucking ever because this scene is so disturbing. I don't I I I believe that Ted Levine wanted to give everything to the performance, but he it did end up fucking him for a while. Like the only roles he got offered were just demented roles and he he didn't want to be typecast. So Yeah. That's why we see Ted well, Levine and Monk later. And stuff, because oh, really? that's, yeah, like he's, Ted Levine is the, he's in every episode of Monk, I believe. Uh, like but he, you see him and you go, oh, it's Buffalo Bill. You, that's all you well, can he's think got, of. He got, he's got the mustache. Like he grew oh, yeah. a mustache Sometimes and he's, he does have a stash. yeah, so like, he's like growing the mustache kind of did it, I guess, or people are like, I don't know who that guy is. And then you hear that that's the guy from Silence of the Lambs and you're like, what? The dick oh, guy? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I noticed this time around, too. Uh, you mentioned he had his hair did up and stuff there. That ain't his hair. He's wearing somebody else's scalp right yeah, there. Did you yeah. notice that? I didn't Holy notice shit. that. I did Never know it's not that. his hair. He's, it's a scalp? Oh, my it's God. It's a scalp. There's, like, during the scene where it shows more of his eyes, and I think he's putting on eyeliner or something like uh-huh. that, you can see kind of at the base of his hairline, there's oh. kind of a tanned leather-looking fucking scalp. Yeah. That's- that's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought he was wearing a wig the whole time that, that I'd seen this movie that for the past fifteen a, years. I yeah, I didn't know that. That detail is very interesting. I like. Yeah, I like that they go, had that. go back yeah. and watch it again, okay. man. There's all. <laughs> there's also a funny thing too. One time, uh, Mitch and I were somewhere and we were watching <laughs> this movie on TV because this again, like with the oh we thing. This is always yeah. one of those movies that Mitch and I have watched like a million times together. Uh-huh. We were watching a made-for-TV edit of this. And during that scene leading up to the dance where, like, it's got all the close-ups of his mouth as he's putting on the lipstick, and he's like, uh-huh. I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. Yeah. They dubbed it over with, I'd have me. I'd have me so hard. I'd have me <laughs> I'd so have hard. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's as close-up on his mouth, so you can clearly yeah. tell what he's actually saying. He says so that's really also weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just one of those things that's always stuck with me, too, is, oh, oh, yeah. I'd have me so I'd hard. I'd have me so hard. So maybe next time you guys look in the mirror, you think you look extra fly that day. Maybe you take yeah. a little selfie to post it on Instagram. <laughs> maybe you just put that thing as, you know, I'd have me. Might delete later. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. Dude, much in the same way, though, that like you said, this particular fucking creepy scene cemented his role as just like always getting typecast as a yeah. fucking weirdo, demented da- dude. Think about poor Q Lazarus <laughs> and that song getting featured on it. So imagine that you're Q Lazarus. You're like yeah. an up-and-coming artist. You're struggling to get your tunes out there. Yeah. Your agent calls you up. You're like, hey, you know, your, your debut EP, I know it's not been going very well. You're not getting the hype that you're looking for, but <laughs> I've got you getting a song in this movie. Oh, really? What's the movie? It's a giant production. Jonathan Demme is being based on this uh you know, series of crime books by Thomas Harris. It's oh got man, yeah, sounds Anthony great. Anthony Hopkins. It's Can't got wait. yeah, it's yeah. It's like cool. Okay, so what's your, what scene is it going in? 
Well, uh, <laughs> there's a cat. <laughs> Little did they know that, you know, that song was going to be used and forever fucking tainted. Yeah. By being in that scene. Because when you hear that song, that's all you can think about. When you hear Q Lazarus, that's all you can think about. Like, in a way, this boosted and completely obliterated the entire yeah. career span of Q Lazarus, which as far as I know, has been non-existent. Yeah, since okay. This. So I'm I'm just so glad you brought up Q Lazarus because I would have forgotten about this. One, uh, Goodbye Horses was also in Married to the Mob, Jonathan Demme's movie that I was talking about earlier that kind of got really? him the attention. Yeah. This is the second time he's used that song in a movie. Yeah. Uh, what the fuck? But here's the, here's the thing that you just... This is... You can't make this shit up. If you go to Q Lazarus's Wikipedia, first sentence, Q Lazarus is an American bus driver. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Q no. Lazarus is an American bus driver. Holy That's shit. That's what it says. <laughs> that I is wild. <laughs> okay, so apparently, uh, I guess, Q Lazarus is a bus driver or... Somebody out there thought it was funny to change the Wikipedia to say that. <laughs> it just makes me think too about like what other scenes and songs and bands' careers could have been like boosted slash ruined. Where it's like you know, yeah. What if like a young struggling um, Green Day, you know, was like, oh, we got Dookie out, we got this hit single, uh, you know, <laughs> we're trying to get out there. When I come around or whatever, yeah. And their agent hits him up and is like, man, we're going to put your song in a big blockbuster movie with Ed Norton. It's all about racism and stuff. Oh, great. They're going to be like, Sounds yeah, awesome. awesome. And they like put it during like the curb stomp or like shower scene. Oh, no. <laughs> when I come around, <laughs> curb stomp. <laughs> and it's like, now it's just inseparable for you forever. Well, the, That's the, what you think about when you hear that song. The thing is, though, you have to consider the number of movies and things that have duplicated the dick between the legs scene and played oh, Q countless, Lazarus's yeah. uh, song. That's money each time. Like, That's I true. mean. Kevin Smith talked about having to pay for that for like Clerks yeah. 2 and uh, Reboot and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, I don't know. I, I would say if you're a musician and you had a song that famous, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, but at the very least you got some money out of it. <laughs> I maintain that even without being in this movie, that song is creepy as It fuck. is really creepy. That's what I was going to say is like, the, the, this movie doesn't make that song creepy. <laughs> No, it was already that way. Yeah. And what I love too about like Hugh Lazarus's vocals is that they also sound kind of gender bending. Like it kind of sounds male yeah. and female at the same time. It's a very yeah. androgynous vocal. It was a good on choice. that song. It was yeah. a great choice, man. So, golly, dude. And the rest of the soundtrack and stuff by Howard Shore is good too. It's, it's so a great. very yeah. dramatic, intense orchestral score. Even like during the opening where she's just like running that training course. Uh -huh. Which I love, too, that the first shot of her we get is her literally running uphill. Yes. Okay. So um, that was all Jodie Foster convinced Jonathan Demme that uh, the original first scene was going to be the scene where they're running through the, like, drill and she gets shot in the back of the head. Like, you know, fake shot in the back of the head. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was going like, to be didn't the, check your corners or whatever. Yeah, that was going to be the first scene, and uh, Jodie Foster convinced Jonathan Demme like it's been done so many times 
it would yeah. be much better to introduce her as like this just is just her working hard like we see her running the course like she's just average everyday fbi uh, cadet well here's the thing though is like not only is she running the course but if you think about it like she's running back to the base and you even uh-huh. see like you know she's out there wearing her inexplicable turtleneck you, you always got to work out your <laughs> yeah, turtleneck right of course always <laughs> But, like, she's running in one direction. Meanwhile, the rest of the recruits are running the other direction. So Mm -hmm. not only is she running the course, she's running it backwards. Right. For them, for everybody else, all, like, the, you know, the male recruits and stuff like that that are predominantly the other um, agents that are are, uh, training and stuff, for them, that hill was downhill. That was easy. She's uphill. Yeah, she's she's Ginger Rogers in it, right? Like Yeah, exactly. And, again, maybe that's, that's the thing is, like, her as a young, attractive woman... It's like running uphill to get taken seriously to escape that. That makes sense. That's a, that's a really good, like... I, like it, Subtle stuff, too. It though. is. It's not it, like, were you running the course backwards, Starling? It's like, no, you just notice it if you were watching right. it, you know? And and Jodie Foster was right. Like, that, that other beginning doesn't work because, basically, Hannibal starts with that same sort of scene, except it's not a training exercise. Like, it starts with... The same thing you see in so many movies of just like they're in the middle of a bust. Like it's not it's not a bad beginning to a movie. It's just been done. So Jodie Foster was right. Like it wouldn't have been bad if it did start with them in that training facility or whatever. It wouldn't have been bad. It just wouldn't have had any meaning. It would have been right. so trite and already done. Yeah. Yep. It's like, here's another crime movie. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you're but even right. The way like, it, it starts off too, like with that, that whole thing and the soundtrack is like super ominous and intense right away. Uh-huh. Again, you know what that's kind of like? Fucking Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, that's true. Because like Sleepaway Camp uh-huh. is this calm, calm panning shots yeah. of like the abandoned uh, campground uh-huh. and stuff and the soundtrack is intense as fuck. Yeah. This is actually kind of doing the same thing. I would love, I mean, uh, Jonathan Demi, RIP, I would love to ask him if Sleepaway Camp was <laughs> any bit of an influence on Silence of the Lambs. Like, well, I mean, you know, it's like, I think when it, you look at it this I way, you're like, it. okay, what movie am I describing? Starts with overly intense soundtrack and a calm right. scene, mm-hmm. features a guy with a crazy mustache, Yeah. Uh, features crazy penis confusion scene as one uh-huh. of the scariest parts okay. of the movie. Which movie am I talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. I mean, I would I would assume, actually, now that I think about it, that would have been one of the more famous trans uh, villains up to that point. So it is, it is conceivable that in doing the research for making the movie, that that movie would have been something Some of that leaked in there. Yeah. Well, plus there's that part in this movie where uh, Hannibal... Uh, spills that gigantic pot of boiling water on a guy. That's too. right. Yeah. Oh, and there's also, there's also that part where uh, he says, "Starling, you're a carpenter's dream, flat as a board, <laughs> and need a screw." <laughs> and when she's down there in the basement with Buffalo Bill, she goes, "Hey, Bill, how come you're so fucked up? <laughs> how come you're so fucked up?" <laughs> Nobody ever asked Bill that. Maybe that's I all did, that needed. That's to be. all it needed. Right. To be. Yeah, he'd be like, "You know what? I don't know." I'm going to stop being (laughs) fucked up. (laughs) You know, I'm just going to just a little break in conversation here to bring up the elephant in the room that none of us uh, have talked about this entire episode, Steve. Let's hear. We ain't wetting our whistle with nothing good at all. This has got to be the first time in fucking two years of doing this show 
Yeah. But ain't neither of us getting a pole. No, because uh, it's uh, it's uh, we're separated. It's a little bit early. Uh, I can't celebrate with a pole. No, no poles. No poles to be had. <laughs> I'm pulling on a cup of coffee right now. I did too. I I, I sipped down a delicious cup of coffee. Uh, kind of coffee you making this. over there, Steve? What's your brand of choice? Um, okay, so there's this Guatemalan Antiguan coffee that I really like. Very chocolatey and nice, but I had yeah. an Ethiopian blend this morning. I like I What like company a makes that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I hmm, did, sounds sounds delicioso. Yeah, I, I never really pay attention. I know what the package looks like. I'm over here being all corporate and mainstream drinking a, a Starbucks French roast. If you're going yeah. to the grocery store, there's there's worse coffees to buy. There are true yeah, truly like a I Starbucks. Like dark, light I like dark roast. roast coffee though. Yeah. Oh god, that's yeah. awful. That's terrible. I like yeah, a, like I, I like a dark roast and that's always available. So yeah. I go with that. Although recently we did just polish off a bag of some coffee that Kate brought back from Thailand. Yeah. Whenever she went over there, Jesse, you know, uh-huh. she brought back two co- uh, two bags of coffee from some specific roaster over there, and they're like coffee beans from Thailand, I guess, which I yeah. didn't know was a thing. I didn't either. Holy moly, they were fucking amazing, dude! I can't wait to get into the other one, but the one that we just finished was incredible. It somehow awesome. had like all of the like lightness and fruitiness and tea-like qualities of a lighter roast. Yeah. But with the the darkness and richness of a dark roast. That's it was kind I, of like both at the same time. It was awesome. Yeah, that's what I like about the Guatemalan Antiguan blend that I have. It's like chocolatey, but it's also got the light fruit flavor to it. I like a lighter yeah. roast usually, light, medium roast, but I do like a dark roast as well. I mean, if you're going to Starbucks, that's the only option. Cause I get a flat white every time I go to Starbucks. That's the, just kind of like they, yeah. they can't fuck it up. It's good. Yeah, their light roast, though, is still too too darkly roasted <laughs> like it's, it's, it's awful yeah it's terrible it just tastes burnt anyway it always gives me a horrible stomach ache too it's just like drinking oh fucking yeah acid or something yeah and i don't get that with coffee i make at home that is very no. much a starbucks thing <laughs> we, we got a fridge full of beers waiting and stuff from our, our loyal listeners who sent us stuff them. so i oh maybe, yeah we'll get back to we'll, tugging maybe i'll come by one day in a in like a hazmat suit and grab, <laughs> yeah grab actually what i'll do is like i'll just throw it out the window at you that makes sense yeah awesome <laughs> i'll know that you're there by your trench coat and your boom box held above your head that'll be me i don't know how i'm gonna catch the beers holding the boom box maybe i'll bring <laughs> somebody else to catch the beers okay that's a good plan that's a good plan <laughs> yeah we'll get back to our normally scheduled beer programming uh next time i mean i don't i don't know it's like maybe the next episode we have to do via you know long distance too i got no idea how long this thing is gonna last but whatever yeah it'll, it'll be at least uh, a few weeks for sure but uh i mean well let's not get too into to coronavirus talk i was gonna start yeah, talking really. about coronavirus why <laughs> again uh, all that hey, information's what, out there i'll tell you what though man i'm glad to see we still got it i think that it's interesting that our entire podcasting journey we began on opposite ends of the country yeah doing this via long distance got it down then you moved here, and you'd have to like drive an hour to get to my house That's every true. time. Uh-huh. Then I moved closer to you. Yeah. And now here we are doing it back long distance again. <laughs> Full circle, man. Full hey, circle. But we still got it. I mean. Still got it. Still the chance, motherfuckers. Okay, one thing I was going to ask you about um, that I think seems very deliberate in this movie, and from what I understand from some of the research I did, none of this stuff was really in the book. Okay. Uh what is with all the American flag and American imagery 
in this movie. Whenever Clarice mm. goes into yeah. the uh, the storage locker there, yeah, the the I guess it's like a car or something that has the the severed head in it. Yeah, has a giant American flag on it, which it I guess Hannibal has placed there. Uh-huh. At the very end of the movie, whenever she shoots the window out, there's like a little like soldier holding an American flag that was on the windowsill. Yeah. Earlier in the movie, we see Buffalo Bill sitting under... It's actually one of the older American flags. It has the stars in like a circle. Yeah. He's doing that stuff under an American flag. And there's also this really weird poster in his place. Did you see hmm. this? No. It's, uh, it's a guy... And it's very obviously shown on purpose because it's a scene where like Clarice is like down there in the in the basement. The camera kind of pans over to it so you see it. Like she's still in the frame, but it wants to make sure that you see this poster because it was in the previous shot. But in this shot, they really want you to see it. It's during a really intense part of the movie, which is probably why you didn't see it the first time. Yeah. But it's a guy with like a black bar over his eyes, and the text on the poster almost sort of looks like a like Russian script. It's kind okay. of like that sort of Cyrillic. squared off angular yeah. sort of font. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it says, America, open your eyes, business as usual. Hmm. And it looks like there's also a, a partial swastika behind the guy's head. Huh. I have no idea what that's about. I have no clue what that poster is. What is with all the American imagery in this movie? Do you have any clue? Because I don't mm. at all. Other than just saying, you know. I- America well, breeds this kind of psycho? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, okay. That seems a little too shallow, considering everything else. Though. Maybe. I. It's... Before you said that about the poster, I would have just said, well, this is one of the first movies that the FBI was uh, involved in. That's true. And since the FBI was involved in it, they may have required a certain number of flags be on set. Um, That's interesting. And, and maybe maybe Demi was like, oh, I'll put your fucking flags in this movie, yeah. but not how you want them. Maybe he did it out of requirement, but was yeah. like at the same time, well, fuck you for trying to make this into a propaganda movie or something. Yeah, and that that is something actually that needs to be discussed because if you look at portrayals of the FBI in film and TV, you'll see that they really take off around this time yeah totally the were recruits running low or what yeah that's what i'm wondering like what are they trying to because like this there's a motive there yeah this and then the x-files which comes out two years after this and and definitely clarice starling was like the main inspiration for dana scully uh and and that that portrays the fbi in the same sort of light that this does where it's like the fbi is interested in helping get out the information that the fbi is a completely political organization where there's a lot of like backstabbing and shit going on but they're still like portraying themselves as the heroes i i'm very interested in and why they get they one decided to start getting involved more in in media but also two they don't seem to demand that the fbi looks good just that at the end of the movie they're the hero right yeah it's like ultimately as long as they come out on top and they didn't they didn't yeah. turn out to be the bad guys or whatever 
Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of an odd role for sure. Because it's like we said, it's like you see a lot of her fellow agents and stuff seemingly acting in a very intimidating way that I wouldn't yeah. imagine would be like a state approved way yeah, for these exactly. agents to look. Yeah, and, but again, I, I would say... They were cooperative, though. Yeah, seriously, if you look at portrayals of the FBI like in this time, and they seemed to have been pushing it more themselves, they weren't pushing to be portrayed as all hero. They were just pushing to, I think, maybe rebrand, because the FBI had, uh, you know... The behavioral analysis unit was the one that was really involved in this movie because they were working on basically profiling. That is what this is all showing. And the BAU, if you watch uh, Mindhunter, it does a good job of dramatizing their work throughout the 80s of just legitimizing what they were doing. Of Because, like, the common ways of catching serial killers before the behavioral analysis unit came along was basically idiotic like th there were so many ways that they assumed that killers thought like they just assumed that if you were a killer like you were also like a depraved individual whereas killers don't all fit into one particular pattern and serial killers in particular may not be uh, uh particularly outstanding at all they they may be the average everyday individual that you meet so like i yeah. think i think maybe their attempts in the 90s were to just get people to take the behavioral analysis unit seriously so they they let themselves be portrayed as maybe not always like incorruptible or or always good but at the very least, the thing that they were doing in trying to catch serial killers was good. Yeah. Well, so, and you can even see the the analysis techniques and stuff that, like, um, what's his name? John Douglas? Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, that, that he employed, as well as even the way that the, uh, the FBI and stuff even used Ted Bundy mm -hmm. to try to track down other yeah. killers. Like, yeah. using the mind of a killer to figure out what other killers are going to do, because yeah. it's completely different brain profile than, than you or I. I mean, John Douglas has to be some somewhere on the sociopath scale to think the Probably. way that he does yeah. and understand how these killers do the things that they do. Yeah, know? I it's mean... It's like scary accurate. A, a, a big part of the BAU is, is, uh, is not just knowing that depravity exists, but having to, like, experience it. So they, like, I, I read this and then read about it but uh, the guy who plays crawford uh he hung out what was his name again the bau guy fuck you were Chilton? just saying no 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 the guy you oh were john saying. douglas john douglas so he he met with john douglas and john douglas like basically showed him around the bau and stuff and uh near the end of their meeting uh scott glenn who played jack crawford uh said like it was nice of you to like really bring me into your world and uh john douglas laughed and it was like yo i haven't really brought you into my world if you want me to bring you into my world uh listen to this tape so he he oh jesus he started playing him a tape of uh these two guys who would kidnap girls and torture them to death and 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 tape it 
he started playing him an audio tape of this girl being tortured, and he, he couldn't listen to it for more than a minute, and it... No. He, he was crying, and he it changed his opinion on the death penalty. Like, he Jesus before was, Christ. like, anti-death penalty, and just hearing that, it was like, no, no, some people need to die. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, so... The... The fact is that, like, part of being in the behavioral analysis unit is being like Clarice Starling, is being able to not not go off on the divergent paths of being disgusted by sexual language or being uh, overly uh, emotional hearing a serial killer describing how they tortured someone. Like, being able to... Uh, desensitize yourself to those things so that you can catch these people like it it is very it's it's inhuman in a way so i see why they were selling it like if that's what they were doing in the 90s with their sort of investment into media of selling it to people like yeah 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 it, it sounds terrible and in fact it really really is but we're using it to catch the people who do these terrible. I mean, I don't know, Steve. That sounds like a bunch of conspiracy nut job shit to me, man. That that'd be as ridiculous as like if I don't know they started like flooding the the video game market with all these like I don't know like war simulators, yeah, right? It's crazy. It's trying weird. to train people how to mm -hmm. you know work a gun and how to glamorize war and stuff yeah. like that. I mean that that's crazy. You know uh, the. <laughs> This is something that blows my mind sometimes. The military spent like millions and millions of dollars trying to develop a a control for their uh, drones. And eventually they settled on an Xbox 360 controller <laughs> because that's, that's what people are used to. And it's the easiest way to detach the people operating the drones from the thing that they're doing which is the thing they're blowing up killing a lot of people yeah jesus yeah just make it more like a video game you can detach easier mm-hmm that's fucked up steve yes it is it's crazy <laughs> hey you know I'll, I'll tell you what too on the subject of this being more of, of a horror movie of course it's not a real horror flick without some some grisly gruesome blood and guts and stuff yeah and this movie isn't particularly ghastly in terms no. of the gore and stuff no, it has I mean, that same effect as like texas chainsaw where in your memory, you think about it as being so disgusting and brutal. Then you watch it and you're like, there's not really that much in there. Yeah. I mean, we, like a lot of it's implied and then we see the results. Like we don't see that cop get cut up and then strung up like a, a butterfly. We don't see the cop get his face cut off. Like we know yeah. that it's happening, but we don't we see, see the it. results. Yeah. Of it. So like a lot of it really uh, does a great job of bringing your imagination in so that when you think back on it it's so much worse than it, it actually is because you imagined all these things without actually seeing them seeing them would make it probably less impactful well, and also too just the the type of violence that's there like the yeah the thought of wearing somebody's severed face on your <laughs> face like when he slides that thing off you can almost imagine what that would feel like yeah and seeing him do that like what he does, which is basically beat up a man's face, spray him with with uh, pepper spray, and then cut off his face. To see him do it all so, like, routinely. 
and to not oh, yeah. be affected by it. And then when he pulls off the the face, he's smiling. What a like, great suspenseful oh. fucking twist in the movie, too, dude. That's one of those ones that like you could never see coming. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. Just just awesome. It, it all looks great. I I yeah. I don't think there's any real like uh, rough moments with no. The, mm. It, it all looks good, and well, I, and I, I like the, the woman suit too that we see like in the ooh, process yeah. of being made. That that looked good. Yeah, it's not like overly perfect, or no. nor is it like overly yeah. fucking grotesque. And of right. course, that like rotting corpse in his tub that you oh, see for like just a second, oh. nightmare city. Oh my god, dude! Oof. And the fact too that like they chose showing you the full on shot of that for like one second before its lights off. Yeah. God, that's so perfectly yes. fucked up and suspenseful awesome. to know that like you're there with her in this room, in this basement, and now it's pitch black. Yeah. Holy shit, man. That is some incredible timing Ugh. for that moment to happen, man. Yeah. Oh, so gross, man. This and a lot of great. it too, like <laughs> we we get a lot of the gore in just Polaroids of crime scene. Oh yeah. That's like the introduction. Is when yeah. she she walks into that room and she's looking at all the different like Polaroids of the the skinned people. Yeah, uh, and then too like the yeah. the autopsy of the girl that has the you know the diamond shaped slits in her back and stuff that they, uh -huh. they got out of the river when she's yeah. looking at that. You know, one thing I found was very interesting about that scene too. I think it took a page from the book in um, from The Exorcist. Uh, oh, okay. The sound of that camera is so loud and so <gasps> jarring. Oh, right. Yeah. It's kind of like that scene in The Exorcist where they're doing the crazy like yeah. x-rays and stuff like mm -hmm. that um, on the girl there where it's just like it's so loud and jarring in this otherwise quiet scene that it's like yeah. very, it makes it more intense in a way, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, that scene where you're there with her and she's checking out this body and you know she's trying to maintain her cool. She's trying to be calm and trying to be professional faced with what she's looking at right now. And then it's kind of like having a gun going off in the room every couple yeah, seconds with this loud-ass camera. A quick jolt. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like very disarming, I think, in a way. I mean, Ben, this is one of the greatest horror movies ever made and actually one of the Absolutely. greater movies ever made so absolutely agree <laughs> uh d definitely it it has what could be considered the best villain ever in a movie one of the best heroes ever in a movie uh afi the american film institute rated uh dr hannibal lecter as the best villain of all time and ranked uh wow. clary sterling as the sixth best hero and the highest heroine on the list. So, uh, at the end of the day, it's it's hard to argue that this movie isn't like top five horror movies of all time. Yeah, no doubt, man. Well, I mean, it's like I'm trying to think of anybody I've talked to that's like, yeah, I don't like that movie. Yeah, I thought it was overrated. Yeah, like, I I can't. You, you meet everybody who who hates some other beloved flick of ours you know it's like it's easy to meet people that don't like the witch you know oh yeah for sure it's hard to meet people that don't like this even yeah, people this, that don't like horror movies like this yeah this just hits all the the boxes for just a a, a good movie that never hits a lull it always surprises you it's always got a little bit more in the tank like 
always the, moving forward too. Always it always it never feels forward. like it yeah. gets bogged down in spending too much time yeah. on some facet of the story or some section of the of the character development or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of forward momentum the entire movie. It always yeah. feels like it's going somewhere with with purpose. Yeah. So uh, the, for me, man, this I mean, this is a perfect ten for sure. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I can't I can't disagree, man. It's it's. I mean, it's a it's a movie that I will continue to go back to, and now I definitely oh, yeah. do want to read the the book. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick that up for sure. Yeah, me too, man. I'm right there with you. This is one of those ones that is pretty much always a a once a year watch for me. Yeah, I think that we watched this maybe again. I'd say about six or eight months ago, something like that. Okay, but it's one that's just kind of in constant rotation around here because it's so endlessly interesting and watchable and beautiful and like i said it's so so well done on that psychological level like those the shots of the eye lines and the uh-huh. way that she is framed as always being so much smaller yeah than the people that she's having a conversation with it does interesting things on a psychological level and like i said there's just so much there to to sit and pick on you know like these transformations and stuff yeah. we were talking about and these characters journeys of becoming something more than what they are but yeah. ultimately when they get there that maybe being something awful when you get yeah. what you want, when you finally reach your final form or whatever, yeah. maybe that's the last thing in the world that you want, you know? Yeah. And, and to like name another movie that introduces two villains, two separate right. villains that are never even in the same room as each other on, on screen. <laughs> I mean, they were in the past, yeah. but like they're never even in the same room with each other on screen yeah. at the same time. I would say the closest that I can think of is Hellraiser. Uh but I don't yeah, think that's true. I don't think that the Cenobites are villains in that. They're just Not originally, no. Yeah. Uh but other than that it's like it's really hard to think of another movie that introduces yeah. two villains that are instantly legendary in their own way and don't right. even work as a team or anything. You yeah. Know? Yeah, no, I would agree uh, with that. Fucking amazing movie. I can't really think of anything I would add or subtract to it other than, you know, if her accent was better, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. That wouldn't that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Clarice Storling. <laughs> you know, like that's about the only thing I could pick on, Storling. but it's still it's still a ten for me. It's such a perfectly yeah. well made movie. I can't help but give it anything other than a ten. Awesome, man. Go watch it. Watch it again. I'm sure if, you, if you're listening to this, you've seen the fucking movie, I hope. I would assume. Yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> if we spoiled it. Did we? <laughs> I don't know. Not really, I guess, actually. Yeah. I think we actually did get through that pretty spoiler-free. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely amazing movie. Watch it again if you haven't seen it in a while. And it's definitely got me jazzed to go back and watch the other flicks and, like yeah. you said, get into those books and stuff mm-hmm. as well. So I'm sure I'll be doing that over the next couple months. Hell, maybe while I'm in here. Shutting the house. Maybe I'll just go buck wild and get buck totally into the wild. entire Thomas Harris universe. Well, Steve, before we announce what we're doing on the show next week, I want to remind everybody to rate and review on iTunes. Do it. Holy shit. You want to help your boys out for all these help thousands of hours now of podcasts? You could uh, say thanks by going on yeah. iTunes, rating, and reviewing. I've not seen nearly enough reviews showing up lately i've seen a couple pop up yeah they we need them from you guys we need you guys to do ski a review ski and whenever you (laughs) and whenever you do the do and leave a review be sure to also (laughs) leave a question at the very end of your review and we'll answer that on a future faq in the preview palace there just a question about anything at all doesn't have to be movie related or whatever just ask away and we will answer on a future faq so please rate and review the show and steve they can follow us 
on all the social media, right? Yeah, at Dead Lovely Pod on Twitter and Instagram, uh, forward slash Dead and Lovely on Facebook and YouTube. We're all over the place, man. Go check us out. But most important, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Dead and Lovely. Become a patron. If you become a $5 patron, guess what? You get to throw a movie title into our random drawing that we do each month. And we've done that random drawing for this month, and that movie is An American Werewolf in London. I actually hadn't done the drawing before we recorded this, so jokes to follow. Hooray! I cannot wait to watch that movie that you just drew. Yay! (laughs) I like or don't like that movie. (laughs) Yeah, I have or have not seen it. Insert whichever one you want to. After we do the drawing. Yeah, but always excited to check out some Patreon picks. You guys have suggested some really great ones that we uh, we have and haven't seen in the past. So I look forward to continuing your all's winning streak of choosing great movies for us to cover here on the show. And like Steve said, if you want to toss one into the hat for the drawing, yeah, but just join that $5 level. $5 patron. Yeah, damn right. Well, it's been a lot of fun, as always, sitting here chit-chatting about the old Silence of the Lambs. Hope you guys have enjoyed the show. And uh, we'll be seeing you guys next week. Maybe long distance, maybe not. Uh, maybe maybe the phone lines are down, and we got to do the show via smoke signals or something. Finally, like that. well, that's what I've been. See, like that, I'm just saying, like that's the true art form in podcasting is podcasting oh, yeah. smoke signals. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I have to get creative with those. So you guys be sure to tune in. Then hope everybody is. Uh, safe and healthy and wealthy and wise and all that shit be sure to wash them hands and wipe your ass (laughs) that's our new (laughs) sign off wash them hands and wipe your ass dead and lovely (laughs) bye bye so i had a really dumb, funny experience I've been thinking about a lot this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I was taking Zora out for a walk, mm-hmm. and I was passing by a uh, good old Merchants of Beer down here in yeah. Knoxville, downtown Knoxville, and they got the little fenced-in like patio area out there, right? Uh-huh. I was walking Zora by the patio, and there was this super, super weird uh, young lady out there who was like wearing all kinds of crazy like anime gear and like a... Uh, you know, like bunny ears and a foxtail and just all kinds of nonsensical okay. furry anime stuff, right? Uh-huh. Just looking like a true goofy person. She sees the dog and she's like, oh my God, can I pet your dog? Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, yeah. And she's like, I can't figure out how to work the gate and get out of here. <laughs> like, it, you just push the bar on the door, it opens. Uh-huh. And so she, you know, she like comes out around the sidewalk and starts petting the dog. And she's like, oh, she's so pretty. And she's like, how old is she? And I'm like, she's, uh, she's seven. And she goes, oh, really? So she's almost eight. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which seven. I thought was about the weirdest thing you could respond with. So she's <laughs> nearly eight. And I'm like, well, you could also say she's previously six. <laughs> so um, this is funny that you mentioned this, because one time Emily and I were talking, and... Um, she uh she mentioned that some that it was spring and i was like it's almost summer and she was like yeah <laughs> spring it was recently winter <laughs> aka spring <laughs> that's funny